welcome everyone. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. If you've just come upon this podcast for the first time, I'll let you know that this is a primarily 12-step recovery-based podcast. Uh, some episodes here and there will talk about other ways in which people have recovered, and I dip into some other kind of content once in a while. So if you have stumbled upon this because you're trying to get sober, you are in the right place. Uh, we we uh, Most of my content are, is interviews with various people who have recovered through the 12 steps, and uh Part of our work in our 12th step, actually, is to carry this message to other alcoholics or other people, period. So uh, that's what the purpose of this podcast is. Uh, Speaking of that, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It is the steps, the 12 steps for everybody else. Uh, there's already 12-step fellowship for just about everybody out there, every known malady. If you if you like cocaine, if you like marijuana, if you, of course, everybody knows about Alcoholics Anonymous, gamblers, overeaters, everybody's got their own club. But you know who got left out? The people who can't identify with a specific uh, malady. And uh, that's what we're doing here. Uh, I've always said that the TSSR can fill three, three, uh, three niches. Uh, one is the people who don't fit the twelve-step fellowships generally, and one is people who maybe are currently in a twelve-step fellowship that want to like go to another level, maybe get this do the work the steps from a different direction. And then the other one uh, here over and over again that people just sometimes don't feel comfortable. They don't feel part of when they go to uh, some of the other 12-step fellowships. So 12-step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon and you can go to 12stepspiritualrecovery.com and the meeting schedule is there in which we have mutual support group meetings uh both live here in the Louisville area and on Zoom. So no matter where you're at, you can join us. Uh, Thank you, Darren Frank, for the music that I get to play around the podcast. Always want to mention that. And we'll just get down to business tonight. Uh, You know, I like catching people when they're someplace around that one year mark. Uh, I kind of have a, you know, I I like to say in TSSR that we have no rules and we will break them all. Um, And I kind of have a rule, though, here in a sense, and I haven't always followed it. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to bring somebody in here to carry these 12 steps, this 12 step message, I want them to have been at least a good piece. You know, I like them to have worked the steps. Now, that's a little bit fuzzy at times because you may never stop working 12 and we're not supposed to stop working 10, 11 and 12 period. And uh and when it comes to step nine with our men's, those can drag on for some time. Uh, but nonetheless, once a guy's up really into step nine and he's doing amends, he's pretty much taken up this way of life. And and uh, I like to wait till about sometime in that neighborhood so that, uh, you know, you can't come in here and carry a message of something you ain't done. Um so I remember watching Josh walk in. I, I you know, I caught. I think he was pretty new. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, went to this Monday night meeting and at at a local recovery uh, meeting house we have here, and uh, it's a good place to go pick up new people. 
<laughs> and I remember seeing Josh in there with a the big, you know, they might as well just tattoo a big question mark on people's foreheads because you can see it from a mile away that they're like, I ain't sure about this shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the alcoholic flaws is, is we think we can do this alone. We think that we can muscle up. Most of the time, we have done things in our lives uh, kind of self-sufficiently. We have handled life and managed the stuff uh, and got this far and we figure we can do this little trick ourselves too and uh, the fact of the matter is very few people can actually do that and that's the whole reason for this uh, this we program uh, so my guest tonight is Josh this is uh, well over a year or I really don't know I guess it'd be about a year later huh You your birthday was middle March yep yeah uh, uh, and I don't really you a know year again, and three weeks time does not I have lost all concept of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I woke up 15 minutes ago this morning. <laughs> um, boom. I blinked my eyes and the day's gone by. But nonetheless, Josh just celebrated his one year back with uh, here in part of the uh, same home group, the name of this podcast, Spiritual Underground. And uh, and he has definitely uh, clocked down the, the steps. I don't really know exactly where you're at, but I know that you've been doing them in. So that's far enough. And usually... Uh, you would never wait for a guy to get his amends done to do the rest. That would be completely senseless. Uh, step 10 actually says that we took up this way of living while we cleaned up the past. It mm-hmm. says we continue. We keep going forward. So we'll get on to we'll, I'm sure some of that will come out in the wash here this evening. Uh, how are you today? I'm, I'm actually really good today. Good. Um, I, my day started out kind of not so good. And then uh, things just happened. Um, you know, I, I spent a few hours meditating today next to uh, a stream. And uh, after that, things just kind of flip-flopped. So I, I'm actually really good now. So Good, man. Uh, let's get your sobriety date out of the way. Yeah, so, um, so my sobriety date is March 25th, 2022 whole bunch of twos yeah yeah well, congratulations once again on making it there it really is it's a rare day we see a lot of people walk through those rooms that don't make to the year it's, our group actually has a, probably a better batting percentage than a lot of groups do because we'll end up having a dozen or so guys a year yeah uh, get 31 year token i have a count someplace <laughs> of how many people because i got that goofy thing where i keep track of everybody yeah it's it's crazy because um you know whenever i whenever i started coming into the rooms um you know i watched a lot of people relapse in between and everything and so you know a lot of the people that were there before me they have technically reset their dates yeah they have technically less less time than i do sober and and it's it's weird because you know i I, i'd look at them and be like i want some of what they got you know and then uh and then they reset their date but it doesn't change who they are you know yep so and you still get the you know the recovery knowledge is still in the bank yeah uh even then you know that's what i I went four years of flopping around in the rooms and (laughs) Uh, you know, I don't. We all have these different journeys and this different path, and it's tough. I, I tend to want to 
pigeonhole it. And I also want to not really look at my own path. And I want to forget about that four years where I did all that. that When I met Christopher, things took off for me. Uh, But the fact is, is that many years before even that four, I was looking myself in the mirror saying, Dan, you got to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, but I wasn't about to tell anybody else I had those thoughts. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because you know, uh, in, in our lives, most of the people that care about us they see it before we do, right? And you know, uh, my wife she mentioned it, you know, four years ago. We've been together ten, and she mentioned that I was an alcoholic four years ago. I didn't want to hear that. Um, you know, now two and a half years ago, I tried to get sober on my own. And obviously that shit didn't take because I'm only at a year sober, you know? Um, And, and, you know, it it was funny because we say that this is a progressive disease, a progressive illness. And sure as shit, as soon as I relapsed after that year and a half of being sober by myself, I was double, if not triple, where I was when I had quit. Yeah. And, yeah, there's some thought that says that it, it's like you never stopped drinking during yeah. that period. Yeah, yeah. You just pick it right back up where where you left off. and Actually, beyond that, though, yeah. you know, it's, like you, it's like you never stopped. You hop, you like leapfrog into the future. Yeah. Uh, like that. Um, I had a, I was I, in my early 20s, and it and it echoes in my brain at times. When I was in my early 20s, we was at one of the deals where a lot of people went. I think we went to Nolan Lake or someplace like that down in Kentucky and camped and drank all weekend. And uh, it was a kind of a family, some people were family thing too. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I uh, woke up in the morning and some guy, some little kid, and I don't know, 10 years old, walked up to me and he said, you're an alcoholic. (laughs) This kid don't have any idea what he's talking about. Shut that kid up. Get him out of here. Uh And, uh, you know, it took a long, took probably 30 more years or something. Well, 20 something years before then. Where'd you grow up at? Where were you born? Um, so I was, I was born in, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and after I got out of the hospital, uh, I think it was like nine months, uh, after I was born, I'd stayed in the hospital for that long wow. uh, with some health issues. And um, then I, I was raised practically all my life in, uh, in Louisiana. So, Where about uh, Louisiana? Um, South Central around Alexandria. Mm-hmm. So uh, I lived out there. And then uh, there's kind of a line. I don't know. That seems to be one of them states, man. If you're you can be quite a bit different from the south end of that state to the north end of that. Yeah. State. And it's funny you bring that up because almost everybody almost everybody says that. And the line is probably 40, 50 miles south of where I was raised. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start getting into the, like the the Kunas, mm-hmm. backwood swamps people type type things, you know. Um, and um, there, we really say there's there's two lines. There's that that one that separates the rednecks from the Kunases and swamp people, and then there's the one that separates the rednecks from the hill people, which is northern Louisiana mm-hmm. where Arkansas meets. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and unfortunately, whenever I was I was uh, in middle school, we moved up to northern Louisiana, um, right outside of Shreveport, West Monroe, Monroe area. Got any siblings? Uh, I've got an uh, older brother who's three years older than me and uh, two sisters that are Irish twins. They're 10 years older than me. 
Wow. So they're they're eleven months apart. That's what I guess everybody calls Irish twins. Mm, I've never heard the term before. So, um, but yeah, so I'm I'm the baby of the family, uh, and I was growing up. Uh, growing up, uh, growing up was was rough. Honestly, um, my sisters being ten years older than me, they were they were essentially out of the house before you know before we really like before I really got to experience any time with them because uh, you know um, as human beings we we don't really we don't really remember you know like four or five six and all that you know except for spotty things and so my sisters were all out of the house really in high school and moving on to college um, and my brother was around but um, mom always worked three, four jobs, um, and I didn't have a father figure growing up. Oh, you didn't? No. Uh, unless it was like my uncles came in and stayed with us for a couple of months or something like that, you know? Um, so you, when did your dad, um, did you I, ever know him? I never knew him. Uh-huh. I never knew him up to, up till I was 21. Really? Um, and so, um, now it's, it's been 12 years past that. And, um, I actually just started talking to him. So, uh, thanks to this work, uh, as part of my amends process. Um, did you, uh, what about like, so did you, most of this time is always there in Louisiana is where you went to grade school or middle school, high school, that kind of business. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we we moved around a whole lot. Um, Mom, you know, mom always worked three, four jobs. She always had um, a new boyfriend here or there or whatnot. Um, Did you move around like distance or if it wasn't bouncing around the same area? No, distance. I mean, I, between, between elementary and middle school, I went to nine different schools. Wow. uh, And just uh, between second and seventh grade. I went to nine different schools. God damn. Um, and, um, you know, all of that, my, my brother being three years older than me, I was practically the bigger brother, though, is I had to raise him. I, somebody had to cook. Somebody had to clean. Mom was working, you know. Um, and so I, I look back today and I'm like, you know, I, I didn't really have a childhood. And, and so... Um, I was always trying to take care of my brother or get us to get us to school or, you know, whatever it was. What is it that's ended up this well, brother's three years older is not worth a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that, but, you know, I mean, it's very opposite of what you typically would see. You know, I mean, the older one is usually the one that's doing what needs to be done. Yeah, and, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes that's the other side of it, where people are in here talking about, you know, they were the oldest one, and they were basically parenting their younger siblings all their lives. Yeah, um, uh, unfortunately, you know, my brother, my brother, um, his disease attacked him early. Mm. Um, he he was an addict at, um, at the age of fourteen really? or so. Um, so, like, while you're eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so well, I started in in that kind of you know. Well, I mean that 
14 is where my alcoholism started, yeah. you know, uh, that, that's where, that's where I bit the, I, the bug bit me, you yeah. know, do you remember the first time you jumped I into it? I remember it like it was yesterday, man. Tell me a little bit. Um, so first time, first Keep time I was, I'm going to grab a drink real quick. Okay. I'm just right there. I'm listening. First time, um, I, I was hanging out with my brother and his older friends, um, because I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be. I wanted to be with the older kids, um, and we we went to one of his buddies' houses after um, after school, and I was 14 years old, uh, freshman in high school. We went out to this house out in the middle of out in the middle of the woods of Louisiana, and uh, I remember it today. It was like one of those dark, like flat wooden houses, like mm-hmm. not necessarily paneling, but like it was. Uh, almost like a log cabin, but it was flat on the outside, not mm-hmm. rounded. Um, and there was a whole bunch of pine trees in the front yard. And uh, we, they started getting into uh, my brother's buddy's dad's stash. And uh, they started drinking, and I just, I wanted to fit in. And so I was mm, like, yeah. To his liquor stash. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, what was it? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember what they were drinking, but I remember what I was drinking. And um, it was a plastic pint of Kentucky Deluxe bourbon, hmm. um, which looking back, knowing what I know now, that's like bottom of the barrel stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, so I had that whole pint to myself. Um, 14 years old, 95 pounds, soaking wet with a box full of rocks in my pocket. Um, never drank a day in my life before then. And um, I finished that whole pint, and I was drunk. I was shit-faced. Um, I remember at some point in time, they were, holding, they were holding me by one arm and one leg and swinging me around the, the living room mm. and throwing me onto the couch. Damn. Like I was, like I was a child. Um and uh, after a couple of times of doing that, I, uh, I had to throw up. And so I ran outside and I threw up behind a pine tree. Um, they brought me more Kentucky Deluxe after that. And they're like, oh, well, you threw it all up. You got you to gotta refill the gas tank. Mm. And so I, I drunk more and um, got even more drunk, all while being outside next to this pine tree eventually i got hot and i stripped down and ended up uh ended up butt naked up against this pine tree drinking kentucky deluxe bourbon Hmm. uh at some point in time i ended up passing out and uh slept there the rest of the night so and then everybody has to drag the rest out there and did y'all hike to this spot or does it walk drove to no we we drove drove to it um yeah so i mean they were all three four years older than me so they all had their license and everything and it was a it was a blue chevy s10 uh is what what we rode out there in and um so somebody's in the bed uh, you, we were, they were everywhere. Uh, everybody was everywhere. Those trucks don't hold a lot. Of, if it's a, it's a little S10 pickup truck. Yeah. They, yeah. They don't hold a lot of passengers. Yeah, riding on the, riding on the toolbox, you know, riding in the bed. You got a couple guys up front. Uh, there was, there was five of us and yeah. you know, um, so do you have any thoughts about that then? Like 
like I remember the first time I remember thinking, you know, that I felt like shit so bad the next day that I had some, I do recall thinking that I don't think I'll, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do this again. Yeah. Uh, it some was, people do it and they think I'm going to do this rest of my life. And some people don't have no thought about it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, growing up, my, my mom and, and all the men in my life and everything, um, you know, I, I remember my uncle, um, every time I'd see him, he'd have, um, a fifth of, um, wild turkey 101 and a 20 ounce Coke. So just that, that drinking is normalized. So, so you know, I, I was numb to it. Um, and, you know, I saw I, all my life, I saw the, the effects of it, you know, around me, whether it was abuse to my mom by her boyfriends or whether it was my uncle stumbling to go get another another bottle or whatever, you know. Um, but for me, that next morning, um, I just remember that I was finally a cool kid. You know, because I was hanging out with the older kids and mm -hmm. uh, I had people now that could get me alcohol uh, for all my friends. Um, and, you know, that made that made me cool, you know, and I liked that feeling. And so it was on like Donkey Kong from there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say that, though, uh, I just like usually we'll start like weekends and stuff and yeah or did you actually start drinking it daily? was it was it was all it was always the weekend um at that point um we would go out to you know our our local hangout camping spots you know yeah. like out by the lake or whatever because we lived 15 minutes away from a lake um go out to the lake on the weekends uh, a bunch of us kids and everything we'd throw lake parties or whatever uh -huh. you know and so we'd just get trashed because yeah, nobody owned houses yeah 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 we, we had to do it somewhere else right other's houses but yeah that's what we would always be at. a big giant percentage of my early drinking occurred outdoors yeah yeah even if it was just we used to hang out in these cemeteries there's a few of them around here yeah and if you went to the cemetery in the evening you could pretty much sit in there and do whatever you wanted because you just didn't get a lot of company. Not a lot of people were in the cemetery. At yeah, night. yeah. I, I remember your podcast. You said y'all had this bushed area that yeah. if you sat down, nobody could see it's you. Actually, in the it. National uh, Veterans Cemetery or something. You know where they okay. all the exactly the same white yeah, yeah. stones and everything, yep. and uh, it's got a little bandstand kind of thing right in the middle of it yeah and it had big shrubs all the way around it and we could sit in the middle of that and, yeah and you had like escape routes in every direction so yeah. if did if something did happen yeah you could yeah. shoot you could tear out of there from any direction yeah um yeah i mean we we went out to the lake we'd find you know oh well this guy's mom and dad's out you know out of town for the weekend or whatever um right you know and we had a fair number of people who allowed parents allowed you you know um actually enabled it i had a couple of people who their parents would actually they had the idea that if we were there we were safer that's uh by the time once i turned 16 or so and my mom found out about it due to a few incidences um then she's like you know if, if y'all drink i'd rather you drink at home i'd rather you drink here so that i know that you're safe so that I know that nobody's out running the town and, yep. and shit like that, you know. Um, yeah, there was a little of that that happened here when I was getting to my late teens, you know. It yeah. said that me and my cousins would come over and uh, 
mom was actually glad that we were here. That That's how my mom was. Yeah. You know, I, I, she, you know, I remember she'd tell us, you know, I'm, I'm more happy that you're doing it here under parental yeah. guidance yeah. than you are out driving, out driving, whatever, you know. Um, but you know, that didn't happen until I was, I was 16. Uh, and you know, we had 76 acres that, that I was on at that point in time that we lived on. And so we'd just go out in the field at that point and build a big old bonfire, mm-hmm. pull all the trucks around the bonfire and, and, um, and we just, we'd have at it, you know, and shooting guns, popping off fireworks, having big bonfires, loud music, mm-hmm. full wheelers, sure. tractors, everything, you know, um, but uh, unfortunately, to I get to that a, point, you know, I think that happens in every crook and cranny in this country, <laughs> in one form or another. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, though, to get to that point, you know, it we had a lot of uh, we we had a lot of incidents incidents that uh, that led to that point. Um, you know, when when I was fifteen, I got arrested for the first time. Um, and it's because we broke into an abandoned house so that we could drink and so that we could party. Um, it was two parishes over. Uh, so parishes in Louisiana is the counties here, right? So two parishes over, we drove out there with a truck loaded down full of alcohol. and uh, Just knew the house was vacant. So. We knew that it was vacant. Um we didn't care for the no trespassing signs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We were we were going to go somewhere and we were going to drink. Yeah. And um, so it was it was me, my brother, and uh, you know it, ultimately we had like twenty people there. Um, but it was me, my brother, and his four friends that uh, that all got caught. And so at that so point, I saw something happening in his house and knew that it was empty. So I called the cops. Yeah. And, and, you know, we thought we were we thought we were slick because we parked at the back of the cemetery up the road and we pack muled everything to the house <laughs> so that, you know, if anybody came by sure, or anything, yeah. they didn't know what was going on, you know. And um, but so I got arrested two counties over, um, you know, my brother and his four friends were arrested as well. Of course, they're older at this. They're they're 18 at this point. So um, they separate us and they give me a chance to call and, and all that. Um, it was a Saturday night and they wasn't letting nobody out until Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom always had a rule. If you go to jail for something stupid she's going to leave you there. But if you, if you were doing something smart, I'll come get you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and and that's what it was. And, uh, I've never seen anybody go to jail for doing (laughs) something right. I, I haven't either yet. So, um, but so that instance, and then, um, you know, after that things progressed and we were drinking at school. Now, now we were carrying, uh, you know, 15 high school. Now we're carrying Sprite bottles full of vodka into school with us and sipping on that throughout mm-hmm. the day. Um, well, we all thought we were Billy Badasses and shit. And, um, you know, our our childhoods, we had certain, certain thoughts impressed upon us. Um, 
during during growing up and so we created this little clan or click or gang or whatever the hell you want to call it that was all white boys and uh, I mean, flew Confederate flags, white power flags and shit mm-hmm. like that. And well, one day after school, we decided that we were going to have very mean black people at school. At school, we had we had quite a few at school. I would think so. Um, throughout throughout yeah, you the were doing town, that in a completely white area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Throughout town, you know, they they were the the town was still somewhat, I guess you could say segregated and, and it was more or less the, the poverty areas. Cause like what year is this? This was, uh, early, let's hear nineties or something. Early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. You ain't getting away with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't for very long. So I can tell you that much. It. What was your, where was you? I just, I derailed you a little bit. You said you all got this. Yeah. So we got this bright idea that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever alcohol we had left or whatever was in the, uh, was in the toolbox of the truck, we were going to pound it and we were going to go, uh, we were going to go to this apartment complex that, um, that was primarily, uh, colored folks and we were going to cause an uproar baseball bats brass knuckles uh we there was even a mace involved at some point in time uh like an old school like medieval yeah. mace mm-hmm. um slingshots with ball bearings and m80s and stuff like that uh, same blue s10 you know we had all this stuff stashed away in the toolbox and uh so we got drunk we went out and we started doing doing all that shenanigans, yeah, doing dumb shit. Uh huh. And uh, well, we we got arrested again. Do stupid shit, win stupid prizes. <laughs> so this time, uh, this time, mom left me in there for uh, for three weeks, and my brother was in there for a month and a half. Wow. After my brother got out, my mom sent him to. Um, to a military school um and um she told me that you know if i was going to be out drinking or anything like that that's whenever she told me i'd rather you do it at home hmm. and so right around this time i was just turning 16 and um so yeah um you know at this point I'm still the cool guy because my mom lets everybody drink at her house. You know, I can have as many people over at the house that I want any time of the day, night, whatever, you know, and we can do whatever we want as long as we're on our property. And, um, so we, uh, we found she ends up having 75, four acres, her, uh, 76. 76. Uh, it was her boyfriend's at the time. All right. Um, and so, like I said, she, I get you, but you know, the, some of that like story, like working all those jobs would make you feel like you're having a tough time keeping afloat. Yeah. At 76 acres. People usually don't have that kind of property unless they either, <laughs> uh, inherited it or have a piece of, have some money. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, land in Louisiana at this time was cheap, to be honest with you. You know, mm-hmm. um, I had, I had a buddy of mine who, uh, his parents were, you know, worse off than us but they own 10 acres you know and um but that's that's the way they wanted to live they were happy like that they were doing what they needed Mm -hmm. to get by and um you know they were happy yeah 
they didn't need all the other stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, we're, we're on this property and it's my mom's boyfriend's and everything. And we ended up finding a place and turning it into a clearing. So, but it was shrouded by woods. So now the parents can't see what we're doing out there, but we're doing all kinds of shit. Um, you know, was you doing any drugs? Not at this point. Um, that's about, that's about a, almost two years ahead, uh, is whenever I started doing drugs. Um, and um my drug of choice was cocaine um and it's not like i was already hyper enough i had to, <laughs> yeah, had to be bouncing off the wall pounding sedative <clears throat> something to balance that out yeah um so did you graduate high school i graduated high school um 160 class of 162 um and i actually graduated a year early so I graduated whenever I was 17 because somehow in the midst of all this, I was still, I was still making good grades, yeah. you know? Yeah. I got good grades in school. One of the things I learned, if I got good grades, it cut a lot of the heat off of me. Uh-huh. It seemed like a simple enough thing to do because you're going to be at school anyway. <laughs> yep. And, yep. Uh, school even went better. You know, the yeah. people, when you're getting good grades, you don't get looked at. Like I saw, you know, the the flunkies, the yeah. troublemakers, and I saw the microscope that got put on them, you know. Right. Uh, I wanted to fly under the radar. Yeah. Um, I, I actually took the heat off of one of my one of my really good friends um, whenever I was 17. Um, he almost got caught dealing uh, pills at school. And, you know, we were we were all stealing peel, pills and giving them to him for him to sell and flip and give us the profit off of it, you know. Um, but he almost got caught. And so I ended up actually being his distributor, so to speak, all throughout my senior year of high school hmm. so that he didn't get in trouble because he was one of those kids that, you know, didn't have good grades. It was always causing causing issues with the teachers or whatever you know and um i didn't have any i didn't have any attention on me other than good grades you know um so i was 17 um we're still partying we're still drinking and everything um my brother's still in military school um but i was still friends with his friends and so i could still get it at any time um and that's when like all the all the sex troubles started happening right like um you know i'd be at a party knowing good and well i got a girlfriend and everything but i'm gonna go and you know do whatever i want and you know have three or four girlfriends at the same time you know um i ruined a four-year relationship with a girl ever since uh seventh grade i ruined it with her one night of drinking and um i still remember the the chick that i cheated on her with and everything else you know i still remember what we were doing and we were in we were in tents camping out by the creek so um i'm of the opinion that you know there's a hell of a lot of the world's problems are hinged on this stuff we have legal at every street corner yeah yeah i mean it's um you know 
ultimately you look at it and it it kills more than than most of the drugs and, and it's behind all the domestic violence and it's behind a whole bunch of the other type of crimes and it's what puts fills up hospitals and yeah uh it ruins families you know yeah. i mean it just i mean you can actually you know it, well, i heard a guy say this and i know i'm just gonna parrot it but you know uh you may be better off having heroin legal yeah <laughs> Than having alcohol legal. I uh, mean, you we we legalized the worst drug that we could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I mean, because you're you know you're going to cheat on your girlfriend, it, and you're gonna break in houses that you're not supposed to be in, and, and you know, and it just leads to the root of everything that I ever done wrong in my entire life. Uh, that I can pull out of my memory bank yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, had that underneath of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, frankly, it's... when I was sober, now I didn't, you know, sound like you, you know, I never got to where I was drinking at school. Yeah. I don't know why I get high. Yeah. Smoke dope, but that's yep. a whole different vibe, right? Right, right. Uh, I mean, I'd tell you that I could do that and it actually helped my studies, right. you know, because I yeah. was a little bit high strung too. And uh, that mellowed me out where right. I could sit in my damn seat and, and pay attention. Yeah, my, my brother was like that. I mean, my, my brother was, was that exact thing. You know, uh, instead of him taking Ritalin back in the 90s, freaking, he ended up, you know. Finding his own medication. Yeah, uh, he ended up smoking pot, freaking. And, like, there's not a childhood, there's not a, a clear childhood memory that I remember of my brother without him being high. To the point to like today, he and I joke about it, but you know, I'm like, dude, you have a perma high and he hasn't smoked in 10 years, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> but like just, does. it has a permanent effect on your brain, you know, just it's like a what, alcoholic wet brain or other stuff. These things will rewire it. And sometimes you rewire it past the point of return. Yeah. I mean, his, like his speech is always slurred and slow. His eyes are always squinted and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, it takes him a while to process thoughts and everything. It's like he's still in that, that perma high. Yeah, there was some truth to that old 80s commercial. It said, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> yep. Um, of course, it didn't stop me in one little bit. But, uh, and I don't know. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm sure I heard all that stuff. It didn't matter. Well, first off, I could not function without, you know, there was absolutely no way that I was going to be like a member of society without something in me because sober, yeah. I'm scared of everybody. And yeah. I'm, I'm huddled up on the couch watching uh, cartoons or something, you know. But with the alcohol in me, I could get up and go out and face the world or high or what some kind of inebriated state allowed me to get out and face the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, for for me, without being without being drunk or or anything like that, um, as a you know, still at the time that I was seventeen or so, um, without being drunk, I couldn't deal with my mom's boyfriends. Without me having a party at the house, I couldn't deal with my mom's boyfriends. I couldn't deal with the bullshit that was going on in in my life. You know, I'd watch my mom get freaking beat by a drunk boyfriend and she's drunk can't feel a thing and she's telling me no it's okay it's okay you know we just had a little argument or whatnot to the point to where you know whenever i was 16 jumping back a few years um just before my brother my brother and i got arrested and he went off 
Um, me and him beat one of my mom's boyfriends with a baseball bat mm-hmm. because he was drunk and freaking was beating up on my mom. And yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of shaking your head like uh, like there's not like it was something but bad. But ultimately, uh, uh, no, that's a, that would be a proper response. I think you no. know. Somebody I mean, needs to stop the violence. We we always kept baseball bats because growing up we always played ball. You know, we always played baseball, so we always had baseball bats around the house. Yeah, and um, I still do, and <laughs> so do I. <laughs> My wife thinks it's weird that I've got a wooden Louisville Slugger that's probably twenty years old sitting behind my bedroom door right now. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, there's a couple shotguns and handguns laying around the house as well, but that's from my military days now, you know. But that, that Louisville Slugger, it still stays right there. <laughs> um, so but, anything specific go on until you end up getting moving on after high school? Um, left out? Yeah, so... Because we don't have to fill in all the blanks here. You know, this is not necessarily an entire minute by minute yeah. rundown of everything. No, so I, I think the biggest significant uh, thing that happened in my life at this point, um, you know, I was getting ready to graduate high school. And, um, you know, I, I had I had scholarships. I had, um, I had a culinary arts scholarship. Um, I had a theater scholarship really? that, that I could uh, use. Um uh, you know, it, it's funny because uh, Christopher, your sponsor, I listened to his podcast and um, I had to call him almost instantly after I listened to it because he and I have got a lot in common as far as the theater aspect of our of our lives. Right. Um, but um, I was getting ready to graduate high school and um, it was a, it was a few days before graduation and we had already had this big party planned and everything. Um, and, um, two things happened. My mom called me two days before our graduation and graduation party at three o'clock in the morning. She said, you need to come get me from the bar. And I showed up at the bar and my mom was unrecognizable. Her face was black and blue, bloody. All of her body was just covered in bruises and everything. And um, come to find out, my uncle, who was the only consistent father figure in my life, had actually gotten so drunk that night that he ended up beating my mom within an inch of her life. Not at the bar. At the bar. Is there any other men there? So there's witnesses and everything. and. Um, and this is a bar that they frequented very, very, like from the time I was 12 to the time that I was 17, I was going and picking my mom up from this bar, you know? Um, and, um, you know, I don't know, well, you know, it would seem to me that some men in the place would be against some women getting their ass beat by a dude. You would think, especially growing up in Louisiana where, you know, everybody's like, oh no, you it's never right to lay your hands yeah. on a woman. Again, you know? I think it'd be anyway. Right. Uh, and I don't you know care where you're at, you can be in northern Maine and you're up there saying, <laughs> to, you know, don't, today you're I not going to beat that. up a woman asshole. Yeah, today I believe that, you know, and in my it childhood, didn't happen that time. It didn't happen at all. Um, and, and this was the only consistent father figure I had in my life too. Um, 
And so um, the next day, once we got my mom to the hospital and everything, I called my brother. My brother came from the military school, and um, me and him went on a on a hunt. Uh, illegally possessing handguns, drunkard and cooter brown, freaking, I mean, we were looking for my uncle. We didn't know what was going to happen when we got there, but we were looking for my uncle. And... Uh, my mom, my mom had a friend who was the DA, and he, uh, she called him saying, my boys are about to go do something stupid. And uh, he came and got us. He came and found us. And uh, whenever he did, um, he said, he, he pretty much told us, he's like, you guys are either going to go and do this and end up in prison for the rest of your life, or you're going to come with me spend a few nights in jail while you come down from being drunk and we'll get you back home after you've calmed down. So I had graduation, so we, we chose we chose to, to stay in the jail in the drunk tank for uh, for the night and everything. And so now the day of my graduation, we get uh, I get graduated and all that good stuff and whatever. Um, go and have a hotel party um we get kicked out of a super eight motel because we were being too loud too many drunks you know and all everything everything you could imagine right so we move across the interstate to uh to a homewood suites uh, right in front of the tinseltown movie theater and uh, somehow we pulled together money to get a suite on the top floor and we carried all our kegs, all our liquor and everything up there. Well, I got arrested. Um, I got arrested because I was passed out in the in the bathroom, hugging the old pearly white toilet. Um, and apparently the hotel couldn't get everybody out of the rooms and they called the cops to do so. Well, I got arrested and uh, my mom's friend, the DA, he said, the best course for you is you either you either graduate and go off to college in a different state or you join the military and make something out of yourself because you keep on this track, you're going to end up dead or in prison for life. And um, I didn't want to do school. I didn't want to do any of that, so I ended up joining the Marine Corps. And my drinking only got worse from there. I mean, the, the did you actually join before you was eighteen? I did. Uh, so mom signed the papers and everything. Um, I um, I turned eighteen in boot camp, uh, and um, once I got a boot camp, you know, they send you home for ten days uh, on leave before you go to your to school and stuff like that, and. Um, so at home on, on my 10 days leave, I don't remember it. All I know is that I was drunk the entire time. Because uh, I just. You weren't drunk in boot camp. Right. <laughs> I, just, I just went 13 weeks without a drop of alcohol. <laughs> um, and so, you know, went to school, uh, spent, spent another eight weeks without any alcohol, uh, and then. Um, 
And then they sent us on leave again. Of course, I don't remember that either because I had to make up for those eight weeks. Um, and then from there, um, we went to our units uh, as, as infantrymen. And so from there, it was just like, you know, all the all the older Marines were like, you know, oh, it's time to get freaking drunk, you know. Four o'clock every day, we were on our way to the PX to grab alcohol. And we were going to drink until five o'clock in the morning when at six o'clock we had to be up for PT. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was, I was in the Marine Corps for eight years and, um, actually I was in the Marine Corps for seven years, seven years and three months. Um, and I got, um, I got uh, other than honorable discharge. Other than. Yep. Other than honorable. It's not dishonorable, but it sure as hell ain't honorable. But I got other than honorable discharge from the Marine Corps because of my disease. I look back today and I, I, I can see that it's because of my disease. But uh, all throughout the Marine Corps, you know, they, they practically program you to you know you're the biggest the baddest fucking nobody can touch you and you better out drink every motherfucker that's out there hmm. and um so i did and uh, sorry i the so the other than honorable thing i've only spoken of that truthfully twice up to now hmm. uh once was in my fifth step with my sponsor. Um, and you know that I was held up on my four step for a while. That's why. Um, and then I've spoken at one other time and that's to my wife. Um, actually, so three times up to now, my wife, I told her, and then I told Travis, Hmm. uh, another one of our spiritual underground guys. Um, because I look up to Travis and I felt that there was a, there was a wall in between us and I wanted to, I wanted Travis to be a part of my support group and um, I was holding that back because I wasn't being truthful with myself and so once I finally got truthful with myself in my fourth and fifth step I was able to tell my wife and then I was able to tell Travis and start building a bond with him because Travis is a Marine as well. So we Marines, we like to stick we together. We say that uh, you're only as sick as your secret. So, you know, underneath, and that's the whole reason for I mean, that's, I should be careful saying that. So a big reason for the fourth and fifth step is because underneath of every alcoholic is some stuff that's like take it to the grave, either through shame or guilt or a combination of both. And, yeah. uh... And yeah, that is the purpose of that. <laughs> yeah, and um, we like to tell ourselves that that don't bother me. You, you know, I'm sitting at home drinking myself to death. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. Um, you know, after the Marine Corps, that was the reason for me to continue drinking as much as so I was drinking. Drowned it. Um, I wanted to repress that shit as far down as I possibly could, yep. and, and never wanted it to fucking resurface, right? Yep. Especially my wife living with my wa- my wife, who's also a Marine, mm. with an honorable discharge, mm. and carries herself to the Marine Corps standard, and she had no idea that I had another than honorable discharge. Mm. 
You didn't meet her in the Marines. I did meet you her did. in the Marines. So, so somehow I don't know she didn't I'm, catch wind of this particular thing. Yeah, she was in a different unit than I was and all that. Um, but and we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so it. Sorry, uh, the talking about this. It's yeah. it's it's weird. Let's back up a little bit. It's Where weird. were you at? When what did you do? Uh, did you have? Did you get deployed? Did you? Yeah, so uh, I was. And I have to be a little bit careful. The only thing I know about military is what the podcasts I listen to. So <laughs> yeah, so I so sit here and pretend like I know anything. My brother was in the army. Okay. But uh, that's the only well, real military connection that I have. Um, so I was stationed in North Carolina, um, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I ended up being deployed three times. Uh, I spent a total of three years and seven months in country deployed. Um, so I, I deployed once to Iraq and twice to Afghanistan. A um, lot of shit during those times especially in the iraq and the beginning of the second afghanistan deployment um a lot of shit that drove me to drinking you know uh as a as a 19 20 year old kid you know um i'm watching i'm watching people die left and right um uh, you know whether it be people that we're firing upon or whether it's people that that were fire you know we were getting fired upon, you know? Um, and so of course, as any good Marine, we shove that shit down, drown it in alcohol and we move on until we become numb to the death that's around us. And that's what makes a lot of people good Marines is they're just numb to the bullshit, you know? Um, so in between my first and my second deployment, I got married. Um, I got married to this chick out of South Carolina. Um, that was cool for a little bit. Um, and then I went on my third deployment and at the beginning of my third deployment, I found out that she was cheating on me with the guy that I was paying to, uh, maintain my three, my three acres, my landscape and all of that. Hmm. Um, so I like to joke about it because, you know, if we can't joke about it, do we, you know, I believe that if we can joke about something, we don't truly harbor a resentment against that. Right. Um, so I joke, I joke about it today and I'm like, you know, I was paying the dude a hundred dollars a week to mow my yard and plow my wife, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, so, um, were you missing a lot? Missing how? Like when this during this period of time with her, or were you no present, um, present mostly? So so we made it we made it through one deployment. So we made it through my whole second deployment, which was nine months. Um, and so then you I were was gone for nine months. I was gone for nine months, um, and she had lived with her mom at that point in time. I hadn't we hadn't moved her up to uh, North Carolina with me because um, we got married. For all the wrong reasons. I mean, I'll just tell you that. Just like every other Marine does, uh, find a chick, get married to her. That way you get uh, $2,200 extra in your bank account every paycheck. Mm. And and then, you know, make it work from there, right? Um, My point with that was saying that, you know, when my experience is if you are not present for your mate, they will go elsewhere. Absolutely. 
that was my point about whether if you were present or absent. Yeah, yeah. So for for nine months, I was I was gone uh, when we first and got I married. Say that, that I don't want to be that broad, over sweeping, but it's it happens. <laughs> yeah, mean, it's uh, not that they will, and that's just the way it is. It's not. There are faithful people out there that don't do that, but. Yeah, and, and, you know, she was faithful through the first deployment, right? Uh, and then whenever I got back, um, you know, I, I was stricken with PTSD. And, um, of course, I drowned that in alcoholism as well. So was I really present whenever I was there? No. Nope. Yeah, I don't think an alcoholic actually has the ability <laughs> to be present if they're, uh, if they're both at home all week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't, I, I think about that, you know, I feel sorry for my ex-wife because she flat didn't have a chance. She married a 12-year-old boy mm-hmm. that was in a adult male body. Right. But yeah, it's kind of like, I think, almost an arrested development thing of like when I first started drinking and stuff, that's where it locked me. That's where I stopped growing. That's where I stopped maturing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Mentally and spiritually. Um, and and I've heard you say that on your, I've heard you say that a couple of times throughout, you know, the meetings that we've been at, and I believe you've said it in a few podcasts uh, as well. And and I I believe that as well. You know, um, you couldn't have told me that when I was 44 years old, the year before (laughs) I got sober. Right. Right. No way. Right. But a few years into recovery, it started realizing that. I just jumped from a kid to a man the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really happens like that, too, you know. Uh, if, if you're working this program the way that it should be worked, then it really does happen like that. It's yep. like in the span of a day or two. It's like, oh, shit, what just happened? Yep. <laughs> and then I had this big wave of, like, regret and sympathy and other emotions about the people that had to deal with me up to that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they weren't given a fair shot. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, my wife and I just had a conversation today on that note, you know, that she's still in the mentality of everything that I've been doing the past 10 years with her, you sure. know. It'll take her probably 10 to get over that. And, and <laughs> you know, me being in AA and doing my program and everything, you know, I'm proud of what I'm doing. Sure, I'm, I'm, as you should be. Right? And um, And she's like, well... For 10 years, you've done unexplainable shit to me, everything except put your hands on me. And now a year into your sobriety, you know, do we, are we supposed to to expect everything's okay? You know, and, you know, we got a situation in our group right now, you know, four and a half years of sobriety. Yeah. You know, and everything seemed to be okay. Right. So uh, those fears are justified yeah and, and you know i'm grateful so for those like the mileage that you get on the you know you gotta like uh build up five miles of trust to cover every one mile in the past yeah yeah and, and you know i'm you know I, I talked to her today after talking with my sponsor and uh talking with a few other people in in our group and everything you know i'm like what do i do like how do i you know because she was feeling some kind of way this morning man and um and i i just knew that that you know i had to get some sort of advice to share with her that you know everything's going to be okay and that i do understand the past 10 years have been hell for you you know 
And so um, we actually... Ultimately, about the only thing there is, though, is this day-at-a-time living. I have to demonstrate one day at a time that I am not who I used to be. Well, and and she she found it very helpful, too, because... um, her and I sat down and read to the wives and the family afterwards together. Um, and, uh, we did that today. Mm. Um, and so, you know, she, she found a little bit of, of breathing room there and she's like, okay, I get it. Like you're doing your stuff and you have to be doing this stuff, but you know, what do I do in the meantime? Might the only thing that we can do is just go today yep. and then when tomorrow rolls around so I can understand like that like this is not what I signed up for right it's a little bit of a misrepresentation almost you yeah know? it's uh, uh, um, impersonating an officer kind yeah. of stuff you know it's in and then and I can totally understand like I mean it would totally it would just like I don't know how women you know I don't know how wives do that of the um, rebuild that thing yeah. because of this relapse rate it's a that's actual right right and uh and like a PTSD from dealing with us yeah know? the one thing you know and that's what a lot of them don't do is you know I don't want to oh, this is my opinion only <laughs> uh, you know they have to do their healing work too just like what we had to do absolutely and without that uh you know, that's that's it leaves a, it leaves like a huge deficit the other direction. Yeah, and and you know, um, we've actually we've actually been going on uh, um, you know our own spiritual journey to uh, with each other because um, uh, we started going to church back in January. Uh, it's her first time ever being in church, uh, and she's doing some Bible studies and stuff like that. Um, but you know that's that's our journey. That's where we decided to go with it, yeah. right? And um, something's better than nothing, right? And I mean, and I'm she's come gonna, a long without way. Without being judgmental on it, I, right. I am a, I am a bit like there's a lot of things out there that really don't ask anything of you, right? And this here asks something. Our program asks that <laughs> so you got to ante up. You know, yeah, you don't get to just hang out. And you see yeah. the guys that just come and hang out. They right. grow. Well, it's just like yeah. what we were talking about at the meeting last night. It's one you know, of the things our, I think about our churches and stuff, for the most part, yeah. is just come be with us. Right, know? right. And this is, you, you don't get sober just coming to meetings. Right. And, you know, last night we were talking about the 10th step, right? Uh, and, you know, that's that's where we have to continue doing this work. Yeah. You know, we have to. It's There's there's no choice. You know, if you want to stay recovered, yeah. Yeah, there's no choice. You don't really even have to read the whole 10 step. It just says continue. <laughs> Yeah. Well, everything else it says after that is stuff we've already learned. Yep. And, and you know, it, I found it actually really cool at this church that, that we're going to. Um, our pastor is actually um, 42 years sober. Hmm. Uh, and he leads a recovery group there at the church as well. And uh, he's not afraid to talk about the nitty gritty bad shit, you know, even in his sermons. And, and so I found that pretty, pretty cool. And, but uh, you know, it's, it's like it was critical to me to develop this really huge relationship with one other man that I could talk to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's another thing that's tough to get anywhere else. Right. Uh, you know, a mentor. Yep. 
uh, yeah. which is ages old, right? We've had the mentoring thing and the apprentices from back in the days when we were carving our arrowheads out of rock. Yeah. Uh, somebody yeah. <laughs> showed you how to do that, and we've lost that in modern society of having that that mentor type of guy in your life. I, I would agree because you know e- even in like in my work over the past thirteen years, like I've always said, I've got a couple of mentors in my work, right? In, in my professional life, yeah, that is one place that that does. There's some plug-ins but for just for this though right but, but like even even though even then in in my professional life like people look at me like i'm fucking stupid because i'm like oh i i've got a mentor or you know i'm going to talk to my mentor about this and they're like the fuck's a mentor yeah. why well, why to do man up. <laughs> and, and you know uh you know our, our sponsors in this program you know we we look at them as our mentors you know we look at them as our guiding light you know and, and then we've got our support groups as as well you know those men that we really look up to that we see really got this shit and are really fucking doing this shit and we look at them and we drag them into being you know somewhat of a mentor to us you know without them Without them and without staying active in these steps, I don't think that that you could ever fucking truly recover. So, um, one of my favorite analogies is is it's like going up a downward escalator. <laughs> uh, if I don't keep going, it, you know, st- even standing still, I yep. go backwards. Right. Uh, I have to actually outpace the escalator. Yeah. In order to make any progress, yeah, and, uh, it, even to sit still, what the, I think there's a, that comes out of the I've heard Jordan Peterson say it a few times about the Alice in Wonderland, where uh, somebody says you have to run as fast as you can just to stay where you're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, and it doesn't. It's, uh, I don't want to put that also because it's really not like I can do this thing today without like having a. Uh, You can catch your breath in it, yep. but you can't stop. Right, right. And I mean, you know, I, I well, see that. It, go ahead. I see that as being true as well because I mean, I uh, I just made an amends with my father, and the next person that I was getting ready to do my amends with was my mother. But some things that came up in my amends with my father made me reevaluate ninety percent of my freaking life with my mother, hmm. and so. I stalled out on my mom's amends because I've got to rethink it now. And you know, sometimes this program calls for us to pause for a minute. Right. Uh, And so, I mean, if you got some new data, then you probably ought to pause. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You back up and, and, but because I didn't want to get stagnant and because I didn't want to go backwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got to put another amends in that place Yeah. because I've got to keep my momentum going forward. If I don't, I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> yep, I understand. Um, uh, and if you had that lined up, it's kind of, I don't know, all of us uh, tend to like try to live two or three steps ahead of ourselves. And then when step two doesn't go the way we hoped it did. Right. Uh, it's like the whole damn thing fell apart. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what to Screw do from it. there. How, yeah. I give up. You, you know, that that's, that's when a lot of us hit that fuck it button, yeah. you know. Um, but... I guess we so, kind of digressed well, yeah, there, didn't we? We did, and we <laughs> too, but I want to get back to the Marine stuff. And you, you said, so did you have a, you had, did you struggle with that then? Like the, 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 the things you were seeing and dealing with when you were in, when you were deployed? 
or at that point were you kind of a brain morse marine where you were just doing the next thing no nah, at at that point i was i was pretty much fucking brainwashed okay uh for for you know that because that's what they do to you on purpose. I yeah, mean, and not a, I mean that's the whole purpose behind boot camp, yeah. right? Is they break you down mentally, emotionally, and physically yeah. to build you back up right. into what they deem a marine should be, right? Yeah. Um, Cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, I mean bullet sponge, freaking whatever you want to call a marine, you know. Um, and so we were back. You said she stayed with you through the first uh, deploy, your second deployment, actually. Yeah. So. So my now ex-wife stayed with me through my, my second deployment. She did really well then. And then, of course, my my alcoholism got the best of me. I was drinking every day, um, even whenever I would go on base. Um, I actually had a 64-ounce um, coffee mug. It could fit a whole pot of coffee in it, right? Um, well, I would fill that with freaking um, half water and half Captain Morgan. And that's what my coffee was every day. Um, and then whenever I got home, it was just just drink, 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 you know. Um, and um, so then my third deployment, towards the beginning of my third deployment, um, a buddy of mine asked me on a, on a Tuesday, he asked me, um, he sent me an email. He says, whose red truck is this? And sent me a picture of it and everything. And uh, I was like, oh, that's the guy that takes care of my, my lawn on Fridays. He's like, you know, it's Tuesday, right? Hmm. I'm like, huh. And so, and just to kind of, just kind of let you, let you know, like we find ways to get alcohol while we're deployed. Um, especially when you're deployed with yeah, multi, multinationals yeah. and everything. Yeah. So we're still drinking out there. Yeah. You can still get inebriated. (laughs) And there's plenty of times that we did and we weren't able to go on mission or anything like that. But uh, so um, I went to our watering hole is what we called it that night. And I drank on it. And uh, next day I sent him an email back. I'm like, hey, pay attention. Figure out what's going on. Like, Let me know. Uh, he ends up sending me pictures and shit like that, and I had it. I had all the evidence I needed, um, and so I called. I called a lawyer of mine uh, back in Louisiana because that was my home state. Uh, that's where my license were and everything. Um, and um, I was like, "Hey, how? What's the quickest I can get divorced from this bitch that's cheating on me right now?" He's like, "Well, if you've got proof of alienation of affection." Um, then we can be done in six weeks. I was like, make it happen. Hmm. Um, and well, the six weeks got pushed to, uh, it was 18 weeks after I initially filed because she, um, in the agreement, she wanted what I didn't want her to have. She wanted to take the horses, the dogs, and my car. Well, my car was more important to me at the time than she was. It was a 76 Corvette Stingray that I had built from the ground up. Hmm. Uh, bought it for $1,000 and essentially turned it into a $36,000 show car. Um, and so we fought back and forth over all that. And uh, finally, I just fucking gave in one day. I was just like, you know what? I want to be fucking done with it. I want to be fucking done with it. And um, I was like, fuck it. 
take the car, take the dogs, take the horses. I'll keep the house. I'll keep the land. Fucking, uh, it doesn't fucking matter. So we were divorced. Um, I'm still in Afghanistan. And, uh, um, probably a month and a half later, um, I was, I was running, running around doing all kinds of shit that I shouldn't have been doing over there. I was finding British chicks that I could hook up with. I was finding, um, you know, Irish military chicks that I was, that I could hook up with U S military chicks that I could hook up with. And then, um, one day I saw a blonde hair, blue eyed, 96 pound soaking wet chick jump down off of a truck and sling a 50 cal machine gun over her fucking shoulder and walk off. I was like, I want that one. Now it's my wife. Hmm. <laughs> so that was in 2013. Um, and so, uh, you know, from there, um, got back stateside in August of 13 and, um, just drinking, 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 drinking. There were times at that point where at that point I was doing cocaine because some of the, uh, some of the, uh, I like the, because <laughs> there's really a reason behind that. So some yeah, of let the, me explain to you why I was doing cocaine. Some of the Canadian military guys had it while we were deployed. And so that's where I got started at. And so when we got back stateside, it was like, it was all or fucking nothing. I was pounding Red Bulls, doing cocaine, drinking fucking bourbon left and fucking right, you know, drinking Bud Light in between. And I, it was just a constant state of fucked up. And, uh, you know, my wife at the time, she was, uh, at the time she was only 20. So she loved it because she was young. She couldn't buy it. She had a boyfriend that she could, you know, that could buy it. I had a house out off of base that wasn't in the barracks. So, you know, um, I look back now and all of that was just justification for me to continue drinking, you know, because, oh, well, I got to get it for her and all of her friends. I got to get it so that I can throw her a 21st birthday party with two kegs and uh, and 21 bottles of liquor and unknown amounts of bottled beer in the fridge, you know. Um, and so... Uh, so 2014, June 22nd of 2014, um, I got put on restriction in the Marine Corps, uh, which is where I, I got I got rank taken away from me. I got put on restriction where you're isolated to the barracks uh, for 30 days and you have to check in every hour on the hour with uh, with one of the higher ups. And uh, so essentially like prison, but or like jail, but not without the bars. Um, I, got, I got put on restriction um, because I... Because I broke, I broke the military law and I put ribbons on that I hadn't yet earned. Mm. So um, 
I have stolen valor. <clears throat> so is, you're doing that on at like at on base, or was you doing that outside of the base? I went on leave. On leave, yeah. I was gonna say. And I went on a cruise uh, with my family. And um, and by family. Like my mom, my brother, some cousins, like, um, like today when you say your family, that's a different group of human beings. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Family you're talking about then. Um, so, and I'm sorry, this is, this is hard because I've, I've spoke this into existence with, with my sponsor and only two other people. And, um, but the only way we can stay sober is if we're honest with ourselves. Right. Yes, it is. And also, um, as we release this stuff into the universe, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And, you know, I speak real frequently about my take it to the grave kind of stuff yeah. that when I walked into my fifth step that I walked in there saying I wasn't going to say it until he goes. So now tell me what you weren't going to tell me. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, this guy's got a crystal ball. And that's exactly how that's exactly how it ended with me and Shane. <laughs> and then this shit came out. Um, because this was the shit that hung me up for four months on my fourth step that I went into my fifth step saying, I'm not going to fucking speak about this shit that I vowed to myself that I would never tell my wife, you know? Um, so you're on this cruise. So I went on a cruise, divorced, self-pity, all that shit, because, you know, what she see in a 35-year-old man that's 220 pounds with a gut, bald head, and shit like that over a Marine, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm throwing myself a fucking pity party, and I just wanted to fucking feel good. Where better to get fucking justification and and gratitude and, and, you know, praise than from fucking random ass strangers on a fucking boat in the middle of the goddamn ocean. Hey, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> and so. I go to the Louisville school for the, for the blind and have them tell me how good looking I am. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so I spend seven days on this cruise ship and uh, two of those days um, was formal attire to captain's dinner. And. Um, I made the decision before I went on this fucking cruise that I was going to do this. And so I put on my dress blues, uh, as a Marine would do, and I put on this stack of ribbons that um, ain't mine. That you didn't earn. That I did not earn. How did you get the ribbons that you don't have? You can just go to a... Can you just go buy them? Yeah, you can just go and buy them. Um, And... uh, Walked around this fucking cruise ship, and I got all kinds of fucking praise. You know, oh, you're a Marine, let me buy you a drink. Oh, hell yeah. You know, oh, let me buy you two. At some point in time, I was carrying three beers at one time, one in my back pocket and two in my hands. Yeah. Um, Did you also embellish while you were talking? 100%. Yeah. 100%, you know, and and I look back at it today, and... um, they didn't give a shit about the fucking ribbons that were on my fucking chest. They didn't. 90% of the people that I that I talked to had no idea what those fucking ribbons meant. Hmm. 
maybe the one guy that that's a CIA that was in the CIA um, at some point in time in his life, he knew what they were. Um, I've actually got a coin from him that's at my house. It's a lot like our tokens, but we call them challenge coins. Um, But um, yeah, so um, at some point in time in my drunken stolen valor stupor, um, a picture got taken and got posted to fucking social media. Mm. And uh, I got tagged in it. And I couldn't fucking get to it fast enough. I knew I was in the fucking wrong. You put two and two together. Oh, 100%. I knew I was in the fucking wrong. And I knew that as soon as I was tagged on that fucking picture. Somebody was going to pick up. Somebody from my fucking base that's on my fucking Facebook. One of my 95 Marines that I was in charge of. That I was mentoring. That I was counseling. That I was making them do shit details because they were fucking up. I knew somebody was going to see it. It's pretty serious business amongst the military. I mean, Huge. That's, uh, not a sweep it under the rug kind of thing. No. Not at all. Um, and, and It's not like I can run around in a Phillies hat, you know, and nobody accuses me and thinks I'm <laughs> right, <laughs> playing for right. the Phillies. But when you got those ribbons on your chest... It's it's a big fucking deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It's a big fucking deal. Um, and somebody saw. And I couldn't get to it fucking fast enough. And um, immediately I'm in the middle of the fucking ocean. My phone blows up. Fucking just blows up. Um... I was getting ready to re-enlist. I was getting ready to go to Japan. My wife was going to... My now wife, who was at the time my girlfriend, was going to... Was getting stationed in Japan as well. And, like... Whole fucking big deal, right? Like, um... We build up a bright future for ourselves and our families and ourselves, and we pull the whole structure down on top of our heads. I was I was slated to get promoted to the uh, to staff sergeant, which is it's it's a big deal. It's you know you, you go from being you know sergeant and down is kind of you know a tier, right? Mm-hmm. And then staff sergeant and up is a whole nother fucking level, right? I was slated to pick up staff sergeant. I was slated to re-enlist. I was slated to get my dream fucking duty station over in Okinawa, Japan. And, uh... It all fucking came crumbling fucking down. Every bit of it. Were Uh, these calls from the military higher-ups that was contacting you? They were... somebody saw it and probably told them, right? That's exactly what happened. One of my 95 Marines saw and was like, Sergeant Kroom doesn't fucking rate that shit. Mm-hmm. Sent the, screenshotted the picture, yeah. sent it to my staff sergeant, sent it to my first sergeant, sent it to my, to everybody. Immediately my phone starts fucking blowing up. I get the picture down, I get it all fucking taken off. I 
run through my Facebook like it's going to fucking help and I make yeah. sure that nobody else can tag me in any other fucking photos and if they're not my friend they can't see anything so on and so forth fucking just trying to fucking cover my tracks yep um, cat in the litter box so I knew what was going on I didn't answer my fucking phone for the whole time I was on leave um, and uh, I stayed fucking hammered Stayed fucking hammered from seven o'clock in the morning to fucking nine o'clock at night whenever I went to sleep. Stayed fucking hammered. When the only two of you got a hammer, everything's a nail. That's it. And uh, got back to base um, and fucking I had. I had my NJP, which is non-judicial punishment, which was they took one rank from me and put me on restriction for 30 days and cut my pay in half for 30 days. That's their punishment. That's all I had to fucking do. Hmm. All I had to do was stay in the barracks for 30 fucking days and check in every hour on the hour without being drunk, without doing something fucking stupid. But... I couldn't fucking do that. I was missing out on a party out at the fucking bar. Hmm. So guess who decides to fucking leave leave base? Me. Knowing that you can't be gone any more than an hour and you're caught. Exactly. So I leave. Uh, did, and this, you, did you hit the fuck it button? I did hit the fuck it button. With it, I'm just not going to hit yeah. the fuck it button as hard as I fucking could. Another, I got another one of these things where you thought you was going to pull something off. Nope. You, I hit the fuck it button. Knew the potential repercussions. Uh, I pounded, I pounded a, a, a fifth of Captain Morgan, and uh, got in my fucking truck and I drove to the bar. No intention of coming back for the next fucking check in at all. So, uh, I get in trouble for that. Um, and so they take another, they take another rank from me and they add another 30 days onto it. Well, if they thought that could have fucking held me the first time, fucking watch me now, you know? So I hit the fuck it button again. Out I fucking went. Power of resentment. Um, and, uh, that time I almost got away with it and um, and then one of my marines fucking saw me at the bar and fucking turned me in so I had the MPs come get me which is technically the right thing to do right 100% <laughs> same thing with the, the the ribbons yeah yeah, um, you know, and, and part part of the Marine Corps, you know, part of one of the sayings in the Marine Corps that they say is, you know, you'll get by in the Marine Corps as long as you do the right thing when no one is looking. Mm -hmm. And I see that that I see, I see that today in my program that that's still the fucking thing. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. do the fucking There's right something thing. Something that says character is mm -hmm. doing the right. I think it's character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Yep, and. Um, and I just couldn't fucking do it, man. Like, I couldn't fucking sit in the barracks and not fucking drink. I just couldn't fucking do it. So every fucking time, um, yep. we, we, we went this fucking round, round robin three, four times. Four times. I was busted down as far as I could fucking go in rank. 
I already didn't have any fucking money in my fucking bank account. Like, my, my pay was cut so much. So I fucking, I said, fuck it again. And on that fourth fucking time, the MPs came and got me and threw me in the fucking brig. Mm. They said, we'll fucking hold you now. And so uh, they held me for 90 fucking we, days. We can do this the hard way. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Yep. Your choice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, me being fucking dumbass and uh, alcoholic, I'm like, I I wasn't at the fucking bar. I'm trying to cover my fucking tracks. I wasn't at the bar. I, I went and got my buddy who said that he was going to kill himself and this, yeah. that, and that. Yeah, dumb shit, you know. Um, and you know, so, As I say so often, and this is another proof of this is what I talk about, is that this thing, you know, there's some there's some examples out in nature of parasites that hijack the operating systems of various animals. Mm-hmm. One is toxoplasmosis that gets in a rat and will make a rat lose its fear of a feline. Mm-hmm. And it'll and that's that's the best analogy. I took it from somebody else. <laughs> but that's the best, yeah, because I'm pretty clear I won't make, you know, I say this over and over again, too. I don't know anything. This is stuff that's been taught to me. Right. But uh, alcoholism hijacks our operating system. And, and, you know, it's not that we're blameless because I don't want to start doing that because I do have to own up. We own have to shit, own right? our shit. Yeah. Uh, but there's no way in hell I'm behaving like that sober. Right. Right. Or a dry drunk. Right. You know, which is worse than sober. Uh, right. Yeah. Or worse than drunk, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, when when we're drinking, we lose all inhibition of what is naturally in our bodies that tells us what is right and wrong, you know? Because as human beings, we, we know what's right and wrong. I think, what, I think that's what the book says at some level. That's a parallel statement to every, every, woman, every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. Mm-hmm. Also is some fundamental idea of what side of the road, what side of the line you're on. That's we right. We know when we were little kids, when we were playing, I mean, it was fun and dangerous and exciting to be on that other side of the line. Mm-hmm. But we knew it. Yep. So they put you in for 90 days this time? So I, I went to the brig behind fucking lock cell yeah. doors, jumpsuit, fucking three hots and a fucking cot, mm-hmm. no fucking pencil, no fucking shoestrings, no fucking nothing. Sunshine time at 10 o'clock, visitation at fucking 10 o'clock on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And your girlfriend, she knew about this? I mean, My girlfriend she knew, knew that I was in the brig. But you didn't tell her the truth about why? Nope. I told her that I whooped my ex my ex wife's boyfriend's ass. Hmm. It's wild what kind of shit we'll make up to cover other things too. But um, so um, so the only reason I spent ninety only ninety days in the brig was because uh, that's how long it took them to process me out. Um, and You're I lucky to just have the other than dishonorable. I mean, other than honorable. Well, so so I had an attorney. Um, I had an attorney that said, look, you can petition the Brigadier General who's going to make this this decision on your court-martial. You can petition him, and you can plead guilty to everything you fucking did and tell the truth and beg him to give you an other-than-honorable instead of a dishonorable. Or... You can fucking keep on the route that you, you're fucking going, spend however fucking long in this brig, and then get transfer, transferred to Levensworth, 
and fucking stay there for God knows how long. Either which fucking way, you're out of the Marine Corps. You're not, you're, you're nobody's fucking problem anymore. Well, I'm sure with that would have been the dishonorable and, you know, that's up there with having a felony and that kind of stuff. It's life crippling. (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, it's probably not real fun to have to explain that one either, but no. Um, and so I wrote a fucking letter. I wrote a letter to the Brigadier General begging him to fucking court-martial me with an other than honorable discharge. Hmm. Um, I told him everything from, you know, which, of course, I justified my action in the letter. Looking back now, I wish I still had that letter. Um, Here's why. Yeah, yeah. I just I was doing stupid shit, but here's why. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I used I used my my divorce and my deployments and all this shit, right? My my ex wife cheating on me and everything. I used all that as the justification behind me doing all this shit, yeah, right? It's alcoholic as hell too, you know. Uh, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, we do that. You know, we we do that with our alcohol, even. You know, I mean, like the little. If you had a wife like I had, you mm-hmm. if you had a job like I got, you'd drink too. Yep. I got a drink, man. Mm-hmm. You just don't understand. God damn, dude. So, so finally the court martial comes back and um, OTH, other than honorable. And um, they're like, all right. Go to your house, go to your barracks room, fucking grab all your shit. We want all of your shit in front of us by tomorrow uh, because tomorrow at 7.30, you are no longer a Marine. And that's exactly how they fucking put it. Wow. Now, mind you, every person in the fucking world knows that once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Mm. I I didn't really think about that. So, so were you like had come into grips with the gravity of your situation in, at, during at that time? No, nope. All I wanted to do was thinking get just how home. big I'm fucked. All I wanted to do was get home so I could fucking drink. <laughs> That's the first fucking thing I did. I stopped by on my way on my way to my house. I grabbed Taco Bell and I grabbed a fucking twelve pack of Bud Light and well, a sure. handle of Captain Morgan. Yeah. Pulled into my fucking house. I destroyed my fucking house because Rage. I was so pissed. And then I just fucking drowned myself in fucking alcohol. Some point in time in the middle of the night, I got in my fucking Jeep Liberty and I went back to Taco Bell. Um, coming out of Taco Bell, I fucking um, I head-on collisioned with a 70, late 70s, early 80s model Ford truck. Uh, ripped off the whole fucking front end of my Jeep Liberty and bolted back to the house. Ran or? Like, drove the drove. fucked up okay. Jeep yeah. back right. to my fucking house, leaving this fucking truck in the middle of the fucking intersection. Hit and run, leaving. Parked my fucking Jeep, called a tow truck, said, hey, I need you to come get my Jeep. Somebody just fucking hit me. Mm-hmm. Um... And um, proceeded to continue to get fucking drunk even more. 
Uh, next fucking day, I was escorted off the fucking base, handed my DD-214 with other than honorable conditions on it, and um, they said, have a good fucking life. Sayonara. And uh, so then, of course, uh, so now I'm living with my 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 girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife. Covering all this up, man. Covering it fucking like, like just, you couldn't even fucking imagine, dude. Every fucking day was just, what do I need to say to cover all this shit, right? And, and, you know, how drunk can I fucking get so that she's not going to talk to me? And then the fucking cheating started, and then I the fucking lies continued I'd go on three day fucking binges of coke and fucking alcohol where she would call me and I'd have my phone turned off but I'd tell her three days later that oh my phone died Mm. but really I was an hour and a half away in Wilmington North Carolina fucking snorting coke off of a bartender's tits and drinking unlimited amount of fucking alcohol. Um, Again, man, we're the only tool you got. I mean, what else are you, are you like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, because we, we have to splat against a really hard wall and that wall could be one thing for another person and, you know, and others plow right on through it and plowing through that, you know, for a lot of people, that would have been a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, that's I lo- like my felony. I mean, I can uh, parallel that at some level, you know. And I don't think we can help but do that when we think when we listen to other people's stories, and that's what like used. Because I, I, the remorse that I had inside of me over that was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like it was a physical feeling that I could not deal with, and the only, and even getting drunk really didn't fix it right but i'd sleep once i passed out yep you know yep. <laughs> and, uh, and, and i could kind of forget about it for moments yeah but it was still in there no matter how much i pounded down yeah and, and you know for the past it's funny you talk about sleep with that because for the past eight years you know not counting this past year and um the year before that i was with my wife but for the past eight years after all of that happened. I woke up every night, every hour, on the hour, every fucking night for the past eight years. I've done that. Just hoping that nobody finds out fucking my truth. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I did my fifth step with my sponsor, that was the best fucking sleep I had. Yeah. I didn't wake up every fucking hour. This stuff does get lighter. We actually do, you know, for people listening, you know, we actually do no shit. We have a method for resolving the unresolvable. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it, no matter what your problem is. Yeah. Uh, Always, I, my, one of my favorite analogies now is that it's like having a ball cap on with remember some of the ball caps have a little fishing pole hanging off the front of them and something yeah. hanging down yeah yeah uh, you know hanging down in front of my hat was the past mm. and it didn't make any difference which way I looked it was there there was my past and anytime I tried to move forward or juke around it you know no matter what 
it was, it was there, there, you know, and this process allowed me, which I, you know, I couldn't do this before. Right. I can turn that turn ball cap around. around and put the past behind me where it belongs so that my future moving forward is, is clear. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so from 2014 to, uh, well, so 2014, we moved to Oklahoma. Uh, my wife got out of the Marine Corps, uh, on, uh, education benefits. And so she got out early. She got out in December of 2014. I got out and, uh, or I moved to Oklahoma in October. So I was already there. I'd already established my local watering hole. I'd already claimed my fucking stool at the bar and everything, you know. Um, so she gets there in December. We're pregnant with my first child. Um, and yeah, um, that's just, um, it continued, it constantly continued from there, you know. Um, the drinking never subsided. It never fucking ceased. There was never a thought to attempt to try and control it or anything like that. So for four years, we lived in Oklahoma. Um, in January of 2019 is when we moved here to, um, to Kentucky. Um, while in Oklahoma, there's a lot of shit that fucking happened. Um, but I've, I've just recently started trying to actually make sense of the memories as they're popping in my head. Right. Um, I, I repressed it so hard because I did so much shit to my wife and to my child that I couldn't fucking, I just couldn't live with the memories of it. And so now that I've started getting this, this more surface level shit off of my plate, right? I've made room for some of those things to come up and to deal with. Not only does our future open up and get clearer as we repair and heal, our past actually gets clearer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some level, that's a whole nother process, right? Right. Because it's the peeling of the onion thing we talk about. Right, right. You get this off here and you go, oh, God damn, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, I didn't remember that. <laughs> so, you know, um, I was just recently able to uh, process and, and realize that in Oklahoma, I severely hurt someone. Um, uh, I, I shot him. Mm. Uh, he was in the hospital, and then four days later, he passed away. Oh, shit. Um. So, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's a pretty rough one to fucking be dealing with, but I'm dealing no, with it. Even to, to talk, say, but how are you, I mean, a lot of places that's called murder. Uh, that's exactly what that fucking is, Dan. <laughs> um, how, I don't know. Do you I, think you're clear on it or is it still sitting no out there someplace? Clue. I have no fucking clue. Hmm. Do they know who shot him? I have no fucking clue. Best of your knowledge, they don't. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. If they didn't know, I'm not. I'm not behind it's fucking not bars. Like you're, well, and you're not also dipping around with a fake name and shit like that, right. so they don't find you. Um, Maybe. So, no, no, real name, birth certificate, and everything. 
<laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, my, my past is starting to become clearer. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got to work on things. I've still got a lot of things to work on. Um, so 2019, we moved here to Kentucky and I continued to fucking do stupid shit. Um, and then, uh, May 18th of, let's see here, May 18th of 2020, I decided that I was going to stop drinking. I decided that I had a fucking problem, um, because I was drinking bourbon, I was changing my twins, uh, one of my twins' diapers, and, um, I took a sip of my bourbon, put it on the banister, opened up her diaper, it was full of shit, took a sip of my bourbon, realized that I was empty, left my daughter lying in her own shit, went downstairs and filled up my bourbon glass. Mm. And and that hit me really hard because all I've ever wanted in life was to be a father that I never had growing up, right? Mm. And I'm like, well, fuck. I've got a problem. Now, mind you, my wife's already told me fucking three or four times that, hey, you might want to think about the fact that you have a problem and that you're an alcoholic throughout the years, you know? Um, but we don't do anything unless it's our idea, right? I'm glad it was my idea that I w I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> um, That's like, that is step one at yeah. some level. I have to acknowledge that or uh, we're not going to go any further. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so I quit drinking in uh, 2020, and um, I was a dry drunk, you know. Uh, we think that just stopping drinking is going to do it. There's no fucking way. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's the message I'm trying to carry here is this, you know, there's these, uh, like a, there's these myths wrapped around this, and it's mm -hmm. the myths, what it is, it's dumbass alcoholic thinking. Yeah. Uh, the stuff the ones I always say is like, we think that when we quit drinking, we're never going to have any more fun. Right. We think we're never going to have any friends. Right. You know, we think if we stop, if we do stop drinking, that things are going to be okay. Right. You know? And it's funny how, so those two things don't really add up, right? Yep. How can I in one realm believe that I'm actually going to stop drinking on my own and carry on with a de decent life where in the whole other thing I'm saying I'm never going to be able to go to a concert again right I'm never and da 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 yeah and um, there, uh, you know there. I don't know the big book so by heart but go ahead there, there, there's a there's a part in the big book where it says you know that um, that an alcoholic can do things that he's not he's not supposed to be able to do if he goes through these steps, right? Yeah. Um, like where it says you're not supposed to go into a bar, not supposed to have liquor in your home, not right. supposed to da 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 da. And, and so well, we don't think that's necessarily so. Um, but yeah, so so I stay I stayed sober. Um, I stayed without a drink for a year and a half, and uh, so you did some other stuff besides drinking. Um, no, I, I stayed sober for a year and a okay. half. I, I stayed completely sober. Uh, I was able to kick cocaine in uh, 2018 uh, relatively easily. Uh, I just stopped. Just drink more. And that's what it was. <laughs> uh, I found bourbon at that point. I found expensive bourbon at that point. That makes us so, think that we're better. 
Um, yeah. Somehow or another, the guy buying. <laughs> I'm drinking the fancy $50 shit. Fifty dollar <laughs> bottles of bourbon is better than the guy who's drinking six dollar a jug vodka. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, I kicked cocaine in 2018, and I never looked back on it. Yeah. Um, and even today, so I, drugs I still have really don't. never been a real big part of your life. Is probably I'm going to make a guess here is that that I liked drugs that kept me in the game. Yep. And other than I had no use for Xanaxes or anything that put me down. That's bullshit. Only, only if it kept only me up. Only if it kept me going. <laughs> you know, pain pills did that for me. You know, it doesn't do that for everybody. Right. But it did that for me when I, it's it's almost like speed for me. Yeah, and, and like I was, I was doing, you know, in 2018, whenever I kicked it, I was actually doing Adderall and cocaine. You know, I was, I was snorting Adderalls. Uh, I had a buddy of mine that could get freaking 90, 90 pills all at once of Adderall. Yeah. And he's like, I only need fucking 30. <laughs> I'll take the other 60. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be out before two um, weeks is over. But, um, so get this part of this getting dry drunk thing. This was, how long did you actually stay there? So I stayed there for a year and a half. Um, and and um, I actually ended up convincing my, one of my best friends here in Kentucky to stop drinking as well with me. So he quit and uh, he quit just as I relapsed and went back out. Mm. But um, Do you remember what made you decide to pitch in the towel and go back in? 100%. Um, so, you know, we, we say people, places and things, right? Um, mine was, uh, mine was all of them. I changed jobs. I went from being, uh, a hands-on mechanic, knowledgeable person to starting a new position in the company that I was working with as a salesman and fucking what do salesmen have to do? They got to yeah. take their customers out to fucking dinner. They got to drink. They got to party. They got to freaking make sales, right? So October of 21 um, is whenever I switched over, and that's whenever I fucking started drinking again. And I was like, ah, I can have one. Tried to moderate it. Yeah. I can have one. Let me ask you, did you have like a mentor in that role? Uh, in the sales like, did, role? Did they have somebody kind of showing you the ropes? No. No? No. Because um, I was going to say, if you did... That was probably going to be in some of the teachings. Yeah, you know, yeah. That you got to go out and right, ride and right. die, and it's just something you got to do. Well, and, and I'd been in the industry, so <clears throat> I'd been around that industry for a while. Like, I was a customer at one point in time, so I knew that anytime I went out with my guy that was our rep, mm -hmm. we were going to have drinks, you know, and it was going to be good shit, you know. Uh, it was me. It, it, I can't tell. It's Sorry. Um, but... Um, so October of 21, I started fucking drinking. Um, I was like, ah, I can do one. A few days later, ah, I can do two or three. A week later, you know, well, I'll go buy a bottle. My wife thought I was still sober at this time. So did my neighbor who was now, you know, a few weeks sober as well. And, uh, uh, you know, he was dry. Let's just let's say that because um, he's now in the program as well. So, um, but uh, so I would I would buy airplane bottles and I would store them in a little cubby hole in my truck that has a little cover over top of it, but it could fit four airplane bottles of bourbon in it perfectly, and that was enough to get me through the day. 
And then all of a sudden at lunch, I was going out to lunch with my customers and drinking at lunch. And then on my way home, I'd stop by and buy a, buy a bottle of bourbon, hide it in my truck until my wife went to sleep at nine o'clock. I would stay sober long enough or I would stay without a drink long enough to cook dinner, get the kids uh, brush teeth, you know, bedtime yeah, routine, whatever, all that shit, yeah. right? Yeah. And then my wife would go to sleep and I'd tell her, oh, I'm just going to stay up and I'm going to watch a couple more episodes downstairs of, of our show or whatever. And um, I'd kill I'd kill a bottle. I got a liquor store that's right outside of my neighborhood, literally right across the street from my neighborhood. And I became really good friends with the owner of that liquor store. So as long as I was there by 11, he'd let me buy whatever I wanted. Um, and so I'd buy a second bottle and uh, I drank half of it there at the liquor store with him. And then I'd go back to the house and I'd drink the rest of it. I got this big field behind my house that I would take the bottles instead of throwing them away in my in my garbage. I would take the bottles and I would go out into the field and I'd smash them on a rock. Hmm. And it's a farmer's field. He plants soy and corn and all that out there. Um, surprised he hasn't had a flat tire yet on his tractors. Um, and so, in a matter of a month, from October to November. I went from, I can drink one a day to two bottles a night, um, two fifths a night. And, um, yeah. So I, I kept doing that. And then, um, March 24th of 2022, I decided that at 11.15 in the afternoon, I was going to go to Agave and Rye in Lexington, and I was going to sit and drink because I was just fucking done with the day. Um, so I sat there and I drank, um, I drank Old Fashions and ate tacos from 11.15 to 7 o'clock at night. Seven o'clock at night, I decided that I'd had enough of expensive old fashions and tacos. I was going to go to the Tin Roof Bar in downtown Lexington, and I was going to drink freaking, it was like dollar pitchers or some shit like that. Um, college is right there, so they always had all that. And, and so uh, I drank, and uh, I went there, and I don't remember how I got home. I don't remember what time. I don't remember anything. I was completely and utterly blackout. Now, my house is 45 minutes from downtown Lexington. Hmm. No clue how I made it home. The moment I sat in my truck seat at the bar parking lot is the last thing I remember. I remember sitting down into my truck seat. I have no idea how I got fucking home. Somehow I woke up in my own fucking bed the next morning. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah. I woke up and my wife asked me if I had been drinking. I said no. Of course. Um, if this were a month ago, I'd tell you that um, she then proceeded to tell me that she needed to go to Kroger to get some things and she would be back in a little bit. But a month ago, my wife corrected me and told me exactly what she said. 
um, she said, um, I'm going to Kroger. You better fucking change your answer before I get back. Mm. But my story or, you know, what I what I heard was enough to make me sit in my garage for two hours while she went to Kroger thinking she wasn't coming back. She was going to wait until I fucking passed out and she was going to take my kids and she was going to leave. Um, I remember having similar uh, parallel thing in one of those two. <laughs> where I thought my I'd have bet a hundred dollars. I'd have bet any. I'd have bet everything I had that my wife and her dad were leaving to go see to go get a lawyer to divorce me. Mm-hmm. And they actually went and got a pallet full of bricks and came back. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, like, boy, I was off. Well, it it, it took my wife two hours to go to Kroger mm, and a get a, a cup Kroger of coffee. Trip. Yeah. Get a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, she come back with a cup of coffee in her hand, and uh, she went to walk in the house, and I stopped her, and I told her, I was like, uh, I think I have a problem. I think I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And she goes, you think? And she, she said, okay, what are you going to do about it? I was like, well, I'm... I think I should probably find a meeting. But I don't want one at a church. Yeah. Because I don't want nobody preaching fucking God to me. Because at this point in time, I was completely and utterly off the God wagon, right? Um, and uh, so I spent the next... Uh, I spent Saturday, Sunday, Monday looking for a meeting. And uh, I found the Token 3 Club newcomers meeting at 630 and uh, that day, that Tuesday, I was working at uh, I was working at Rubbertown down in Louisville, uh, just right across the river from New Albany here. And um, I got done early. Well, the meeting didn't start till six thirty. I got done at uh, I got done at three. And uh, I was like, I told my wife I was going to go to a fucking meeting. So I guess I'm going to go to this fucking meeting. So I went to the p- parking lot of the Token 3 Club and I sat there from 3.30 to 6.30. Mm. The entire time I sat there, I'm looking at Token 3, but right to the left of me, there's a sports bar in the same shopping center, mm. right? And there's Bingo Hall right next door to that. Yep. And then right back here to the back left of me, there's a liquor store on the fucking corner and a gas station completely behind me on the corner of the actual roads up there. There's no shortage of places to find out. <laughs> so um, I had an internal fucking debate for three hours. And finally at, uh, at 5.45, I got out of the truck and I walked into the fucking token club. And I haven't fucking looked back since. Um, I'm going to pause you right there for a minute. Yeah. So what was, do you recall like what you thought your first entry into a room? What, when you started, the meeting started going da 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 as you were seeing what was happening around you? Yeah, I can tell you exactly. And you um, had absolutely no prior AA recovery or anything like that. So you're a complete virgin to all this. Yep. So, um, so I sat in, if you know the token room there at the main AA, um, I sat behind where the speakers sit, right? Uh, where the chair people sit, I sat behind them up against the wall, third chair, um, to their right. 
Uh, and I had my arms crossed and I had my head down, ball cap pulled down as low as I possibly could pull it. Freaking, I didn't want to fucking be there. Didn't want to hear a fucking word of anything. I didn't have a fucking problem. I didn't want to do it. When can I get the fuck out of this meeting and go to that fucking liquor store? Hmm. And how much liquor can I pound before I get home without my wife noticing that I pounded fucking liquor? None. <laughs> They're smarter than we fucking think they are. Um, at least, at least mine is. Unbelievable what we thought we were getting away yeah. with, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, we might as well have been playing. We might as well be playing with a skunk and trying to tell somebody we weren't doing that. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You know? um, but um, there, there's man that that spoke up in there, uh, and he ended up being my first sponsor. Um, Jimmy and uh, I remember specifically what he was talking about um, because at newcomer meetings they keep it in the first three steps and uh, they were talking about uh, they were talking about step two came to believe uh, that a power greater than me could restore sanity right and um a whole bunch of people in there were talking God, 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 God. And Jimmy Jimmy raised his hand to share, and he said, we need to remember that um, as agnostics, what we believe uh, isn't all about God. And what does agnostic mean? If you break it down into its Greek formation, a meaning without, and gnostic, knowledge. So we really don't know anything. So we need to remember that, you know, we don't know if it's God or anything like that. And for some reason that fucking stuck with me. For some reason, that stuck with it. It made me uncross my arms. It made me uncross my legs. It made me look up at him, and it made me write his name on the the soft spot between my first my first finger and my thumb. Hmm. So after the meeting, I introduced myself to him. I don't remember anything else about that meeting at all. Period. Um, I introduced myself to him, and uh, I was like, "What you said, just it." He's like, "I know." I saw you. You lifted your head. You uncrossed your arms. You and, and everything. I was like, I don't know about all this stuff, but I know what you said spoke to me enough to write your name down on my on my hand. He's like, Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a big book? I was like, No, sir. He's like, All right, let's go get one. He bought me a big book. He bought me a Snickers bar. And then he said, all right, now, two things. Eat the Snicker bar, Snickers bar if you're having a craving because the sugar will crave the craving. I ripped it fucking open and I ate that fucking Snickers bar. <laughs> and he said, now, do you feel if you leave this meeting, you're going to go drink? I said, if I leave this fucking building right now, I'm going to go to that fucking liquor store. He said, okay, stay for this next meeting with me. Hmm. And I, I stayed, and I believe it's the Bozo's meeting is what it was at, uh, at the Token Club. 
um, eight o'clock on Tuesdays. And, uh, uh, for some reason when they, when they said, does anybody have a burning desire? I put my head down in shame and I raised my hand and it all just fucking started flooding out. I've got a fucking problem. I don't remember how I got fucking home the other night. I, I believe that I am an alcoholic and I ended with, you know, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose everything that I have if I don't fucking do something about it. Help. And the whole time I'm bawling and, um, that was my, that was my first AA experiences. And, uh, since then, um, or after that meeting, I ended up, uh, asking Jimmy if he would be my temporary sponsor. Uh, we worked through the first three steps together. Um, and then I was introduced to you and Shane at Bobby's meeting. And, uh, uh, and you guys were talking about this spiritual underground and I'm like, oh, what the hell? And I saw you guys again and like, you guys just, you guys looked different than everyone else, you know, because I, I did 129 meetings in 90 days, you know, like I, I did what they were suggested, suggesting of me, you know, take notes, listen, sit back, you know, uh, share when you, when you feel the need to share, you know, but you guys just seemed different. And then Bobby told me, he's like, dude, you've got to come with me to the spiritual underground meeting on Tuesday night. And, uh, I did. And I'd had a few interactions with you by this time. One of, one of which I'll never forget was, us in front of Derek's truck in front of the Token 3 Club. Um, and then uh, I had a few interactions with Shane by this time as well, um, and which one I'll never forget where he told me um, that we can't put God in a box. And for some reason that just that resonated with me and it still does to this day. Uh, because God is everything, you know, however, which way you want to see God, God is everything. There's something out there that's fucking bigger than us that makes this shit happen. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And to boil down just for those out there listening that probably, that may be uh, having that issue, this does not require you to believe in God. No. Because that second step you were talking about is just a power greater than that's right. me. And frankly, every drunk alcohol, every alcoholic that walks into his first AA meeting, has uh, just discovered a power greater than himself. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, even for, the person that's five days in that meeting, you know, they're they've got five days of sobriety, and you don't. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and you know, for me, uh, early on in my recovery, I my higher power was this fucking blue book. My higher power was going to those meetings. And I heard early, early, early on, there's an old man in one of the meetings at the token club. He's like, I don't give a shit what your higher power is. It can be that fucking doorknob yeah, if you want it to be. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but I'll never forget that either. Um, but um, 
I ended up talking with Shane quite a bit um, because he kept coming around for Bobby because Shane was Bobby's sponsor as well. And, um, and so he was supporting his sponsee and, um, I ended up asking Shane if he would be my sponsor and if it was okay to switch sponsors, right? Because, um, and so I did, uh, so we switched and we started over, we went back to the first step and I got a whole new understanding of step one, two, and three, you know? Um, exactly what you're saying. It doesn't have to be God because that's what, that's what I was fearful of was, well, fuck, I got to find God. I lost him back in fucking 2008. (laughs) Um, one of my favorite things, you you don't have to find God. He ain't lost. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, you're the one that's lost. He's not. Um, but, uh, you know, um, so I, I got a whole new understanding of step one, two, and three, and I moved into the fourth step. And um, I, I dreaded it from the very beginning because one meeting that I went into uh, one time, they were talking about the fourth step, and I just, I was not, I did not want to fucking go down that rabbit hole. I did not want to relive my fucking past at all. I didn't want to fucking know. Yep. Uh, we don't want to face that, you know, because there's a, like, you can kind of tell yourself you're acknowledging it, right? You know, yeah. you can kind of talk yourself into doing that. But when you take that pen and that paper, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like when I say about fifth step, when we admit it, admit to God. And, you know, I don't think, you know, my understanding of is that this God knows what I'm thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. But I've admit it, end up in here. The way I admit that to God is through you. Mm-hmm. That's where the channel is. You yeah. know, until I voice that, right. it's not real. And until I write that down, it's not real. And, and I'm, I'm keep I'm a, it buried. I'm a firm believer, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've told my sponsee this as well. You know, once once you vocalize it, once you write it on the paper, you just spoke and wrote that into existence. That shit's real now. Like no matter how bad you don't want it to be real, that shit's real. <laughs> but at the same time, like this is like an electrical charge that is inside of you. And when you do both of those, it's like gra- grabbing the ground rod. Yep. And it's a discharge of yep. that energy out of you. Because, I mean, we, we say all the time in, in, in our, our program, you know, share on that shit and cut that shit in half, you know. And every time we share on it, we just cut it in half a yep. little bit more, a little bit more every single time. Going back to, you know, what you had said about me speaking about my uh, my stolen valor, you know. And, and so, um, yeah. Yes, I'm, yes I'm a, I did it. Yes, I regret it. Yes, I wished it hadn't been. But the fact of the matter is, that is what happened. Yep. And, and you know, yeah, it's still hard for me to talk about that specific, you know, thing. But I can actually fucking talk about it. Yep. You know, and a dollar to a dime, <laughs> there's going to be somebody come through your life that's going to need to hear you talk about it freely without having a bunch of energy wrapped around it because he's sitting on a similar kind of deal. Mm-hmm. There's always this thing, whatever our our hardships and the dragons we are called to slay is only to help the next guy down the line. You're going to end up needing that tool again someday. And, yeah. and at some point, it'll be like a bell going off. Yeah. It'll go bing. 
them sons of bitches told me that uh-huh. I didn't believe them uh-huh. yeah so I got into my fourth step and when I got into my fourth step I, I stalled whenever it got to my stolen valor I some of these for, we bulk mm-hmm. I stalled for four months Damn. four months and I don't know if you ever stalled out or not, but my experience whenever I fucking stalled out on the fourth step and every time I shared in our meeting and I'm like, oh, well, I'm still on my fourth step. So I'm, I can't speak about the ninth step or some shit like that. Cause we stay in our steps, right? Every single time I said that, I just felt like everybody in there was just staring me fucking down and saying, when the fuck are you going to get out of your fucking four step, Josh? And I, and uh, finally, it took Toby. Peer uh, pressure is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it, it took Toby, and he he said, "Just fucking do it. Just fucking do it." And I don't know what happened, but freaking the spark was relit, and I fucking boom, 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 and. To a hilt, you're going to run into people, and they're going to stall on their fourth step, and that's going to be the exact reason why. They are unwilling yeah. to face their past. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe there in one of the books that, that we have in, in our program, I believe there's a, um, a passage in there that says, you know, um, a lot of people have tried to do these steps without doing a fourth step and they failed. Yeah. Actually, the one sentence in there is about the fifth that they tried to not do the fifth. Okay. But there is some stuff about in there about the importance of the fourth yeah. also. And, and so, you know, I and took Toby. Fact. If you don't, the chances of you getting sober are really slim. Well, <laughs> you and, skip any of this stuff and you're handicapping yourself. Well, and, and I was I was being the alcoholic that I am and I was making excuses, you know. Oh, well, I'm just working my program thoroughly. I'm making sure that I'm being thorough. I'm making yeah, sure that I'm being honest. Thing. I remember hearing once out of you about the... Uh, that I've, that kind of talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the thoroughness of our program that 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 gives us the quality of our yeah. sobriety. Yeah. Fucking idiot. <laughs> There's some validity to that. There's not. That is not wrong. It's not, but it is when you're stalled out on your four yep. step because you're fucking scared to be honest with yourself yep. you know and i just had to pace talk with a guy today man and i have more and more as i do this thing more and more convinced you know there's some there's a there's a thing in the uh, going around kind of like the doorknob thing mm-hmm. you know, we got all these stupid things we say and uh, <laughs> and it talks about this recipe is like a like grandma's cake mm-hmm. and if you leave support if you leave something out you know you'll get a cake Right. you're not going to get grandma's cake. Right, you know? right, yeah. And uh, and along with that recipe is also a cook time, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't cook it, if you don't cook it enough, right, or you cook it too long, and I really feel like that four to six month is like the sweet spot for gonna... getting the ultimate cake. Now again, uh, it's not. This is not like it's ruined because of that. Right. So don't take me wrong. Well, there, I'm gonna I'm I gonna steal that analogy a, from you. There is a window in there, and the one place, and I know I hang my hat on one specific thing here, and it's because my sponsor did too. It says in two employers, it said had my company discharged me mm. and showed me this way of had made sure I took these steps, showed me this way of life. I could have returned to them a well man in six months. Right. And that's really the only timeline yeah. that's in here, right? Right. Uh, about 
a window, but I don't want to get too hung up on that. Um, yeah. You can't, you know, everybody has their journey though, man. Right. And the one thing is, is that you have to do it. Yeah. You know, the you, you time, is not a, time is not a hardcore variable. No. I've seen people take three years to do their steps. And we, we've got a guy in our group now who's been dry drunk for what, what do you say, six years? And he's just now starting the steps, you know? Um, but he said that it's, it's a different, it's a different feeling now that he's doing the, doing the fucking steps, you know, these fucking steps work. I am a firm fucking believer that these steps work. I've done all 12 of them and I'm still actively doing my 10th, 11th and 12th every fucking day. Yep. That's absolutely right, man. And like my guarantee, I can guarantee you that if you work these steps and practice these principles in your life, your life's going to get better. I can guarantee it. Guaranteed. And, and I mean, you and I, it's you and I are sitting here, right? You, you and I sitting here are freaking living proof of that. You know, yep. the twenty, the fifty guys that we have in our group, in in our group, you know. Not to mention the millions others that have used the twelve steps to get over whatever their thing was. Right. And Another one of my favorite ones is I ask a guy, "Do you think this will work for you?" And you know, if a guy's being honest with me, he'll say, he'll say, "I don't know," or even some people say. I don't think this is going to work for me. Right. Uh, what makes you so fucking special that what's worked for millions of other people are not going to work for you? <laughs> I, <laughs> Help me understand how you're that special, that I, unique. I think I think that's in in all of my program. I think that's probably one of my favorite lines: "Is you're not fucking special." Yeah. Because I, I say that every fucking day, every fucking day. Oh, I'm going through this. Josh, you're not fucking special. Figure it the fuck out. Use your fucking tools. Do your fucking step work. Get the fuck over it. Keep on coming to, you know, as you come to 12s, one of the other dynamics that's happened to me over and over again is that I think I have this problem. And I walk into a meeting and somebody will share something that makes my problem real small. Right. I'm like, I got my problem sitting down on the table. Can't wait for sharing. Yeah. You know, and then this guy over here shares about his brother was murdered last night. And I'm like, I put my problem back in yeah. my pocket and I'll just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al- almost to the extent that you forget what you were even going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a real one. That is one that I remember. And it hit me like a ton of bricks in early recovery. I was had, you know, I'd had a bad day at work and I mm. got into an argument with the boss. I mean, really today, penny, penny ante, mm. you know, but I was spun myself into a tizzy. Yeah. And I come in and a guy shared, he raised his hand in burning desire and his his brother had been shot last night and killed. Fuck. You know, he's like, <laughs> golly, uh-huh. Dan, the self-centered, self-centered yeah. you think you are. And I hate to do, I hate that that's the other people have that, that that ends up. But, you know, there's been a couple times when, uh, there's been a couple times where I've had the, maybe the biggest one in the right. Room. You know, right. I've been hit by the semi truck a couple yeah. times and, uh, you know, and probably I was serving the same role for somebody else right. in there at some point. Yeah. But that it, helps you with that. I ain't so special stuff. You know I mean? We're, it's right. a level of alcoholics are cookie cutters, man. Well, and, all stamped out of the same mold. And, and that, that was drilled in my head from, from early on in my program, you know, like there's somebody in here that knows you better than you know, your fucking self. You're not fucking special. Like they, somebody in here has done your shit. Somebody in here has lived your fucking life one way or another. Yep. Um, and, and the only solution 
to getting over all of that shit is working these fucking steps. Yep. And then practicing these principles in your daily life. That's it. That's it, man. Because it ain't just that. No. You have to continue. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's that's why we, you know, I believe exactly what you had said and I, I just said a minute ago is that, you know, the 10th, 11th, and 12th step, you have to do them every fucking day. You have to. You have to. After a while, it becomes a way of life. It's not a working them anymore. I was That's just, just the way I operate today. I was that just talking just about the way I operate. I was just talking to my wife about that today. Like this, this will become my way of life. Whether or not you're here five years from now or not, whether or not you're here whenever I get around to doing your amends and it's time for me to make my amends with you, I will still be doing this. God willing, I will still be doing this. Because this is a way of life. And if we don't fucking do it, we die. It is. And, and I mean. And I'll tell you, you know, and at the very least, if you don't end up in a grave, reversing where you're at today and this thing you know you can be, mm-hmm. reversing that is maybe worse than death. Right. To know. Yeah, to know that you can be better, but that, yet you're sitting here choosing to here, fucking. But I'm sitting here pounding liquor or pills yeah. or whatever it is. It is ruthless, you know, and that's the thing you think about with some of our guys that has had that have relapsed. You know, you know, I want to be angry at some level. There's a piece of me that wants to be mad, right? Uh, but again, it's you know, I had to have some sympathy for a man because right. I know they're feeling like right. shit to right. have to come back in here and say hey man yeah. after kind of for years you've been in here talking to 12 step recovery right <laughs> preaching this stuff right. man and then you get humbled man and then yeah. you gotta and you know the thing is is that you know none of us are immune from being in that chair right at any given moment man who right. knows what it might be and that's why you have to like you know stay on guard with this thing. You you've you've said it in one of your podcasts, and I don't remember the exact e word that you used, but it was either engulfed or entrained or something of that nature. But like the, you have become engulfed and entrained in this program. I think I might said immersed. Immersed, immersed. That's been a word in, that's hit me lately. Ever since my daughter has. Mm. I that word come to me that you got to be like dipped in a tank of recovery mm-hmm. you know all the way up all the things <laughs> yeah yep or, or, or having a straw in your mouth yeah. and keeping it above water that you know that's especially early yeah and it is so you can you get to come up and get on a raft you mm-hmm. know you don't get to get out of the pool right right <laughs> you, you just get some sort of like assistance yeah. right you yeah. know like somebody throws you one water wing instead of two right? you just said something about that AA book being like uh, you know that, that go to higher power kind of thing it's just that and you'll find this to be the case is that the words continue to evolve in there and now almost everything somebody says to me uh, echoes something out of that book to me uh-huh. you know yeah. uh, and like it Bill says this thing becomes a working part of our mind, and it really does. And yeah. none of that made sense to me early on. You know, yeah. I might as well be reading something written in Latin. Right. Uh, and now all of it means so much, and it changes meanings. And right. It goes through there. And, and you know, like I'm, I'm blessed to be able to um, to have a sponsee now. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to I actually just got a second sponsee. Um, Congratulations. That's and, the deal. And, you know, uh, you know, Travis says it. And uh, when, when I first heard Travis say this, like, 
like, man, he is fucking passionate about this. But he said, you know, it's super fucking selfish of us to hold on to this and not fucking give it away. Mm -hmm. And when Travis says it, I mean, he gets worked up over it. He truly, truly fucking stands behind it. And I believe him. Now that I have a sponsee and now that I just got the opportunity to, to have a second sponsee, you know, my first sponsee is on his third step uh, or moving into his fourth step right now. He's out looking for his notebook. Um, and it's, you know, he's got a better pace than I had, you know, which I, I love, you know, because I don't want him to fucking stall out. I don't want him to repeat what I fucking did, right? Momentum is so important. Yeah. And, I, and that's another thing I preach and I talk about with my guys, man, because, you know, that old opera window of opportunity is open for so long, man. And if you stand around, you know, you stall, sometimes that window slams shut, man. And it's like a, it's the same as, you know, it's just like, is it a minute? A dude is doing fine. Yep. And then the next day he's calling you saying, hey, man, I don't think I want to do this. Right. <laughs> well, like, oh, yesterday you were. <laughs> <laughs> you were all kinds of jacked up. And that's the real thing. That, yeah. That the, so and, keeping, and, them, keeping them immersed and keeping yep. the momentum going keeps yep. them in the game. That's yeah. one of the things about and, going to lots of meetings. And, and, and that's why they say that, right? 90 and 90, right? Yeah. A lot of the old timers will say 90 and 90, yeah. right? Um, you know, and, and that stuck with me. Hell, I did 129, you know, in 90 days. Um, uh, and even after that, I still continued to do, you know, once a day or, you know, something like that for some time um, until fucking life happened. And I had to tailor my schedule to, to, you know, fit some recovery into it. Now I fit some recovery in and tailor the rest of my fucking day. Right. You ever heard that? I think I've heard from. Uh Don Major. As a matter of fact, he just celebrated 42 years ago. He other did. Day. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, for the longest time, I was trying to fit my life into, or fit AA into my life. Right. And I finally figured out that I was going to have to fit my life into AA. Right. And, and I mean, you know, by the grace of God, I've got things going on right now in my life that are just, it's just happening. You know, I, I used my tools that, and, and everything, and I've been talking about a few things. Um, and, um, today I've been, I've been able to finally make a decision and, um, you know, it's, it's going to be for the better of my life and it's going to open me up more to be more, immersed in my program you know and i love that about it I, I love being able to sit back and look and see you know where my life's going and being all like yeah my program's in there you know there's no doubt about it my program's in there yeah. but you know I, i'm i'm able to sponsor people now and and i fucking love it because every time i've sat down and reread something with my sponsee the words fucking change and I love it. I love it because it, it just, it, that book, that big blue book is fucking amazing. <laughs> to think that he, you know, first off, you know, they like to talk about, they, they throw this label on Bill about being a stockbroker. Uh, that's probably giving him way too much credit. <laughs> Uh, he was a loser yeah. stockbroker. You know, he was not, you know, it's almost, I don't know, it'd be like saying I'm a baseball player. Right. You know, because I go out and knock some balls around in my backyard with the kids. Right, and, right. Uh, the fact that he could write this stuff a couple few years sober. Mm-hmm. 
uh, without any of the like knowledge that you and I have today that we've been able to glean from this, you right. know, how much of a head start that's given us. But for him to be able to do that is real close to impossible. Right. Uh, for him to actually create the words in this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can't see any other way than that was somehow divinely inspired. Mm -hmm. Right. And the fact that he's written a book that requires you to have a guide Mm -hmm. to take you through it. You know, yeah. Uh, if you were going to sit down and write a book, like to say, okay, I'm going to write this manual on how to do something, but I'm not really going to say it all. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to make it to where I'll teach that guy how to do it, and he'll have to teach people. You know, yeah. he couldn't possibly write a right. book that required a mentor. And then the third thing is, is the fact that these things glean you glean new meaning out of them time right. after time after you read them. And you know, and eight years later, I can say the same thing. Right. You know, and my sponsor will will vouch for it too you know it's 30 right. almost 39 years yeah and, and you know it's it's crazy too because like you would think over time somehow this shit would get misconstrued in one way or another right but somehow like this is the best fucking game of telephone that i've ever fucking seen right I mean, this is in the 30s when this book was written 1939 is when it was and, published and now 2023 Fucking, there's people still doing the same shit that they were doing in 39, yep. Yep. you know? And the, page, the 164 pages are the same as they were. We haven't changed them. And they're, they're nicking around, nickeling around with uh, the fifth edition. Yeah. And there's some talk around that they're going to make another big book and update the language, you know? Huh. And uh, it's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> if that's the way, if that's what they do, I will never, I'm going to buy a whole box full of, of fourth, fourth editions, editions? Yeah. cases of them yeah. and have them <laughs> back for my guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I owe, I owe everything in my life right now to, you know, these steps and the work that I've put into these steps and the people that have guided me through these fucking th- these steps and taught yep. me how to live these principles. My entire life is hanging on one drywall anchor. <laughs> yeah. And it is, that one drywall yep. anchor is 12 steps. If you ask me anything or whatever, that is just, like I said, it's, a, it's the way I do life today. And, and I, I mean, you can, I can see it in you. I can see you doing that. I can see other people doing that. And I only hope that I can continue to grow to match that, you know, because I I don't see any other way of fucking living right now. I really don't. Yep. Mm-hmm. It drives my wife fucking nuts. Yep. Yeah, it does. <laughs> our, uh, our, our, our significant others uh, do struggle with this, you know, and uh, she'll probably listen to this and be mad at me. <laughs> uh, but... We get on such a growth trajectory over a short amount of time that the like our people that are closest to us, uh, they kind of get left in the dust in a sense, yeah. you know. And but it's available to them, right? But it does. It ends up being, and it's a, and, and I can totally see it. If I was with somebody and they took off on this trajectory, I'd feel lost behind them. You know, right. it would feel like, and I don't mean it in a race like that. There's some kind of measurement here right uh like all of a sudden we're better than them or right, anything right. like that i don't mean that at all no, we're but, i mean we're our, making up for fucking years maturation of... yeah even if you just say you know we mature so much in that short amount of time right. um that that the other person is looking at you with binoculars kind of thing and well, like who it, are you i mean I'll, 
I'll read you this text message from my wife because we were, we were having some talks this morning. You know, she was in some kind of in some kind of way. Um, and Feeling a certain kind. What do they people say that drives me so kind of nuts, man? Uh, <laughs> It had me feeling some kind of way. Yeah, she she was she was in a mood this morning. She was feeling and, some kind of way. Yeah, man, and um, she she straight out told me, and I'll, I'll read this word for word. It says, "I don't have the tools you have to process things." We've talked about this. You're progressing faster than I am. Hmm. You have Shane to talk things through with my mm-hmm. sponsor. You have your AA tools. You get to share with people when you're having problems. And I don't and i mean she went further to say a few other things that that i'm not going to put her business out there but you know she says but it's not the same same as having something that helps you be a better person and communicator i mean proof's in the pudding (laughs) so yeah man and i will say you know the commercial at the beginning of this podcast was for the was almost built for people like her. Right. It is where they can come get that. Right. Well, it's not a zero sum game. You know, it's not like I'm sucking up all the juice and Josh is being left behind because he can't, you know, right, what right. I'm take sweeping up, he can't get. Right. Uh, you, the entire, it's, well, another thing in the big book. Well, and it is a limitless load mm-hmm. that all you have to do is mine it the rest of your life and give it all away. Right. <laughs> You know, um, I, I ended our conversation uh, after a few hours uh, by recommending, you know, hey, there's Al-Anon uh, where you can get a little bit of what, I, what I'm I'm giving or getting right now. You know, yep. and you got to find the right Al-Anon group because there's a lot of Al-Anon around that's doing nothing but complaining about right. their alcoholics. But some <laughs> groups do work the steps. And, and that's something I've heard over the years that people have trouble finding right. a, a, a step based okay. Al-Anon group. Okay. Um, and then I, I told her, I was like, you know, there's TSSR as well. Um, she should you know, just try it. And, well, and, and we're talking about it. The Zoom uh, meeting's we, on Thursday night. We're going to just come sit and listen in on Zoom. We were we were talking about it, and we were like, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it together. Yeah, I would advise against that. Really? Okay. I would let her have that place. Okay. You have yours. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And if she needs to complain about something. Mm-hmm. It won't be able to happen if you're sitting in there. Same way we have a men's meeting, right? Right. Yeah. I understand. And I would, I would advise. And that's you're not the first person. I actually had a, somebody and somebody was doing that, and uh, the guy actually called me and asked me to sponsor him. And something come over my heart to say, "Hey, man, so and so's grown a lot since they'd come there, haven't they?" Mm. Yeah, a whole lot. Dang, man. I, he said, "That's what I'm wanting." Mm. And I said, "Well." You know, you might want to give some consideration because he's alcoholic. The AA is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can find some place to go, but she's found this spot. So it right. might be to allow her that space to recover. And I totally get the together thing. Yeah, yeah. I understand the sentiment behind it. But, uh, well, and, and I think honestly, uh, and here's me justifying. Shit, you know, right? While she's at home reading, then you can be watching the kids or whatever. Right. You know, and like she's right. probably doing when you're not. Right. And, you know, um, I, I was kind of being selfish with it, you know, because I want to experience TSSR too. You know, yeah. I, I hear you guys talking about it. And, you know, of course, Christopher's part of part of my sport group as well, you know. And so like, I want to be, I, I want to experience it. Yeah, I understand. So, 
But you know, no, I, I I get I get the point that you're making, and it makes sense to me. You, you know? watch people like Travis and Cindy. Yeah. You know, they both have are been sober a little bit now, and they both have like there's a partition between the recoveries. Okay. You know, yeah. And the recoveries can kind of do this. Right. Right. And you can go to a meeting together. Right. Right. And that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and y'all could go to open AA meetings together, mm-hmm. you know, and she's going to hear the same stuff. Right. Right. And once you get your mind trained to quit thinking about that, it's the dope and the booze, because yep. it really isn't. Right. Right. It really is not. The right. dope and the booze had so little to do with it. Right. Uh, that is crazy today. It's like weird. But I had the same <laughs> thing with my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I can be here to support her and I can pour tons of knowledge on her. Right. But I have to stay arm's length and let her have her recovery. Understand. Yeah. And the TSSR group has a women's night, too. And that might be a better starting okay. place. But it's on Tuesday night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's Zoom. So, I mean, at okay. some level, she could she could do both. What time is like it? Like with earphones. Yeah. What time is it? I think it's the same time. 730? 730. I got. Well, we get our we get our kids step, to bed at seven thirty. So twelve step spiritual recovery has the okay meeting schedules, or just right. ask me, and I'll yeah yeah. All right. I don't. I kind of lose track of the women's well, Zoom uh, link and stuff once in a while, but I can yeah. get it quick. We're, enough. we're we're we are really ritualistic at our house. So mm-hmm. like me too. Man. Dinner at six. Kids in bed by seven thirty. You know, I need a routine. Absolutely. I am a routine based dude. And that's what, that's what this program is as well. You have to fuck this, this program has to become routine. You know, I wake up in the morning, I say my prayers, I meditate. I spend time with my daughter before she goes to school. I spend time with my wife before she goes to, or before I go to work. And then when I get home, dinner at six, baths. Um, you know, getting ready for bed, doing the bedtime routine, 7.30, bed. I believe that human beings are designed to do that. Yeah. To have the routine. Yeah. Uh, to sleep at night and be awake in the day. Right. When you see people that's stuck where they have to do the other way around. I used, to, I used to do that shit. Dude. It's terrible for it, you. You can't um, do shit. Yeah. You can't do shit. I'll tell you something else just while I'm sitting here thinking, uh, you know the line in the Bible that talks about being equally yoked? Mm-hmm. Are you new to the Bible? Uh, I I am new to my new understanding of the Bible. Yeah, you will see it with a brand new fresh set of eyes. Uh, Christopher had me read Emmett Fox's The Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. It was the first book I read after we were done with the steps because I wanted to know, I wanted more, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you run this marathon? Yeah. And it really wasn't, but it kind of felt like a marathon. Right. And you get to the end of it, and your sponsor says, congratulations, you now completed the 12 steps of yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous and qualified to take another man through the work. And then, like, I did that slow down job, <laughs> as you do when you get to the end. And then, like, when I stopped, I was like, what's next? Right, you right. Know? And, and he fed me, and I'm a really good reader. Yeah. He fed me that, and that had a huge impact. Like, after going through the work, because mm-hmm. I had a little bit of resentment about the Bible, and today right. you'll hear me quote it, right? Because uh, today I've I draw from all the spirit, all the ancient spiritual teachings, right? Why do I gotta? You know, that's one of my biggest blocks on uh, religion and spirituality in the beginning was mm-hmm. that the boxes, yep, everybody had their own box, yep, and I knew they couldn't all be right, right? You know, and that means one of these is right, and I don't, 
how am I supposed to pick which one is the right. right one, right? So just screw them all. Right. You know, but like now I do realize they actually all are right. Exactly. <laughs> in, the, in their own way, they're all right. And yep. that's why we can't put God in a box. Yep. If we do, we can't ever heal appropriately. All these different cultures have a different conception of a higher power. Yep. And if it was all the same, that would be way too weird. Right. Because even <laughs> different cultures, as, as important as water is yep. to life, every culture has a different word for it. But we don't sit around and argue about who's right and wrong. Right. If, uh, it's all still water. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And aqua and whatever yeah. word you use. Yeah. That's uh, kind of like say that. You know, way Coca-Cola and Kleenex, you know, are uh, terms we use here. You know, mm-hmm. you want yeah. Coke? Right, right. Uh, you want a Kleenex? Right. Uh, that's just the name brand. You right. Know? And that's yeah. kind of what God has become. Yep. And then I, actually, you know, like at first you was hearing, probably in that first meeting, you was hearing that God. And every time you did, man, it's like making you splinch. hundred percent. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I knew what this was. Uh-huh. May, even though I wasn't at an AA meeting in a church yet, uh, I was still hearing God. Yep. You know? And then and, you come around and that's like... To be honest with you, I don't think of God when I think of my higher power, not God. But that's just the Kleenex. It's like if mm-hmm. I had a box of tissues here, and and you said, "Hey man, I need to blow my nose." Yeah, and here's I'm a not Kleenex. Turn over the box to see if these are real Kleenexes. <laughs> right, right. I'm just gonna. So it's just an easy word to use. Right. But it does. It causes a newcomer to flinch. Yep. Because most of us have religious trauma yeah and uh, unfortunately i've seen a lot of newcomer meetings too where they'll like they will guard against the word god as well you know like to not almost go to extreme not to say it yeah but like if you know this this big blue book that we read you know i'm pretty sure it's like 380 something times in the first 164 pages that god is mentioned but it also says spirit of the universe. Yep. It says divine creator. creator. Yep. It says it, it, you know, so. And how think about Bill thinking of that back then. Right. You know, because back then in 30, in the God late thirties, God in town here. Exactly. He was the only gunslinger. God. Yep. That was it. And he knew enough to know that you can't. And there were some people that around him, you know, again, this we thing, there were some people around him that was proponents of that. That you can't beat them over the head with the God thing. Right. Uh, Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, though, man. I mean, it's just so beautiful to think about the evolution. And you said something about sponsoring people. There's absolutely nothing more fulfilling in my life than walking a guy through this work and watching him come out of the ditch, you know, mm -hmm. come out from the trenches. I couldn't wait. Bloom like like we were meant to do. Yeah. And have played a little small part in that. Uh, I'll do that the rest of my life. Well, and, and it's nothing more fulfilling. You you were talking about you know well what's next you know I want more right sponsoring people that's next. that's how that's I was next. right like Shane said all right you're done with your twelve steps you're able to sponsor Start people raising now. your hand I'm like what really I'm not ready <laughs> and now now I've got a sponsee and I'm just like wow this is what's next yeah. And right. what about the old cliche that's run around? If you really want to learn how to do something, teach. You it. have to teach it. Yeah. And this is that. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing, man. It really is. Um, I can't say it enough. And, you know, it gets to be, you know, I always said like this. I always, the reason I have this crystal ball is because I refer to it so much. There, this 12 step recovery has given me some type of 
you know, really what it is is the sixth sense that Bill talks right. about in here. That gives you that sense uh, of clairvoyance. Yeah, that you can like, you know, I can read people really fast, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I can feel your energy at some level. You know, when yeah. I come up to you, I, I can feel whether this is, you know, it's either neutral, which is very rarely, or it's repelling, or it's like an attraction. Right. And I'll feel that level real quick. Right. But where I was going with that is, is it's it t- watch guys come into AA and watch that resistance and that, uh, even if it's like not overt resistance, right? Right. But you can feel it. Right. You know, like I said, the tattooed question mark on yeah, the forehead. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you can feel that. And then you watch that guy. If he'll get in here and do it, you'll watch that human being evolve you know, and end up like getting squirted out the other end, a different dude, you know, and watching you, I've watched you do that over the last year. And I've gotten to watch a lot of people do that. Even if I'm not the one doing the playing the part, it's still a beautiful thing to observe. I I agree. I mean, there, there's so many people that have, that have came in around about the same time that I have. And like, I've seen them progress so much you know, and one of my favorite ones is Josh. It, you know, he had multiple, one of the five Joshes in our group. Um, but, you know, he had multiple relapses. I came in and I watched him relapse four or five times. I watched him get a 30-day chip and then the next fucking day come in and get a 24-hour chip. I walked him watch into a fucking meeting with shot glasses in his fucking pocket. Like with shots, shooters in his pocket. And now just to see the type of person he is with all the service work that he's doing and how involved he is in his program, like, it's just amazing. Like, I respect him so much in this program because I've watched him evolve into that person. Same with so many other people, you know? It's another limitless load, man. It's kind of like what I say about my podcast. I picked the perfect niche. (laughs) Alcoholics are everywhere. Yep. And they love to talk about themselves. <laughs> yep. Yep. And there's no going to be no shortage of them coming in. You know, some people now and again, you will kind of kick around like, you know. If you could stop alcoholism, what mm. a great thing that would really be for the world. Right. Right. But then like if we stop that. It's kind of like a hospital going, I hope nobody ever gets sick again. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. don't want my Who I can I give this to then? <laughs> right. Dry up. Yeah. So. Maybe that's why they don't, why they keep it everywhere. Because it's. Uh, <laughs> keep it on every street corner. It really blows me away that, like, because in Indiana, you really have to be a liquor store to sell it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't have convenience stores where you can go in and get a beer. Okay. Uh, you have to go into a package okay. store to get, now you can get warm beer at some of the convenience stores right, now, right. but who wants that, right? Right. <laughs> if you have an option anyway. Right, right. Um, and to me, it's unbelievable. Like down on one corner down here, there's three liquor stores on one corner. Jeez. I'm like, how can they all stay in business? Uh, yeah. How are you competing you know? with each other? Yeah. And it's like, but I guess it's, it. you know, there's a lot of people consuming a lot of alcohol in this yeah. country. And I, I find it, I find it funny when, um, you know, like I said about the token club, right? My first meeting at the token club, I sat there for three fucking hours looking at a bar a liquor store and a gas station that all had fucking what i wanted readily available to it 
And, and so Coach I find Miracle it is just going to <clears throat> just out, uh, outlasting that yeah. little temptation, you know? I yeah. Mean, I find it funny, though, is that a lot of, you know, because I've traveled a little bit for work and I've went to a few meetings out of town and everything quite a few, uh, quite a few times. But a lot of the the clubhouses that are in in like shopping centers, there's a fucking liquor store and a bar right there next to it. Yeah. Like shoes. <laughs> yeah. So. That's where, you know, the other thing is, is that there are people out there that think they have to like remove our, the temptation from mm-hmm. our way. Now you, that's in there too. And we can't do that. Right. You know, uh, be a little, I might be jumping out on a limb. Uh, some particular person would like to hand a handcuff my daughter to her bed so she can't go get anything. Right. Right. And it's like, that don't work. Right. Uh, they'll take the bed with them. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where there's a will, there's a way, right? You have to, we have to learn how to live sober amongst yep. it, right in the yep. middle of it, you know? Uh, and yeah. it's everywhere. And it really is. It's another miracle that we can stay sober with that everywhere around everywhere. us. And we I, go to I was, eat, you go anywhere, you talk about business stuff. <laughs> I was coming back from uh, from Wisconsin a few, a few weeks ago. Um, and, of course, it's a six-hour drive, and I didn't have shit else to do. So I started counting billboards or signs of alcohol references. And I was listening to your podcast at the same time, and um, and I counted um, I counted 161 billboards or signs in my six hour drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that's all a straight shot too. That's all 65 all the way down. <laughs> yeah, and you know we have a lot of problems with people drinking intoxicated. You know, but we're going to put the advertisements up and down the road. Yep. Uh, it is. It's crazy. So it's the world we live in. We're coming up on three hours. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I feel like, you know, uh, one thing I say is that like if when you have, have you had the opportunity to tell your story on a podium? I have not. Uh, you know, when you do that, you get about 40 minutes like the other night, Saturday mm-hmm. night, Ross had like 20. Oh, because they read everything but page three of the Wall Street Journal. They had so many readings. And, wow. And it was two people's birthday, so there was people was coming up there and giving the birthday congratulations. Yeah, We've yeah. seen that in meetings, so we kind of do it a little yeah. differently with our group. But, uh, and by the time it got, it was 20, 20 till Oof. when when uh, he took the podium. So you get some little piece of your story to tell. Right. But like uh, that's one thing I like about the podcast. There's like a sense of completion. And I know we didn't like document it like a... Right. docudrama or whatever you know right but at the end of it you've told a pretty good pretty good outline chunk. of what your story you know yeah. and i like that about this yeah because we get to know more you know uh unless you're close to somebody mm. like really close like maybe sponsoring them right you never get this deep right and, and this gives us an outline uh, an avenue to be able to get a little deeper in our friends because this old thing about addiction is the opposite of connection Mm-hmm. Connection, it's what well, you get to know these guys better. I know some people that think they know me mm-hmm. just because they listen to the podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard you say that on your podcast, you know. Um, and it, it's funny because it took me a while to come to add this tool to my toolbox. Um, and ultimately, I realized that I didn't know the guys that I was hanging out with. You know, I didn't know the guys that I was trusting my life with. Mm. 
And being from military background, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard for me to process. And I remember your podcast. I was like, well, let me get to know some guys. Yep. And so I went all the way back down to the beginning. And I started all the way down there. And I, I'm, I listened to as many podcasts as I possibly could in one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, under two and three hours, you're not going to swallow too no, many in one day. No. Yep. So as soon as another thing, and I've said this on here too, but like when COVID hit, it gave the, we were all Zoom, you know, and guys started tuning into the podcast and getting to know people because like you can kind of get a little of that out in the parking lot after the meeting. Right. Yeah. The meeting after the meeting. That was all gone. Right. It was gone. And you guys come in. Toby was one of them. Okay. You know, he was a, Brian. He was a COVID, yeah, Brian, a COVID baby. And, um, they started he started Toby started getting to know the guys in our group using this tool right here so yeah. that's pretty cool I, again most of what's happened to me in recovery is organic I didn't necessarily set out with these grand plans right uh, they just evolved yeah. well why don't you give a pitch for the 12 steps real quick and uh, a concluding thought and uh, we'll tie a bow around this then yeah. I'm going to get you to help me move something alright uh, I'd be happy to. The, I, I mean, the the only thing I can say is this shit fucking works. I mean, we we run a program of action, and it it says it in the book that uh, this this is a way of life. We just have to give it give give something up, and what we have to give up is is our old way of thinking, and we have to start putting our fucking actions forward. And without that, this program won't work. You have to work a program of action. Yep. So that's all I got. And I you appreciate you. you. Like you said, I'll paraphrase it real quick. You said, I like it real well because it does pretty much. I have to take the things I think I know mm-hmm. and put them down. And then I have to do some things. Yeah. Yeah. And the right. rest of it, if you'll follow those two things, <laughs> you're going to make some traction here. Yep. And, and I mean, it's as simple as like, you know, you, you made the suggestion not to not to do TSSR with my wife. I'm going to take that suggestion and I'm going to put it to action. You know, I'll find another way to get get the juice from TSSR, yep. Yep. you know, but no, I mean, well, that, you got a piece of it, but anyway, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to get there because we're towards it. We need to wrap it yep. up. But, uh, yeah, I flinch at that, you know, and sometimes I hesitate to say it, but I feel strongly about that. And I'll bet if you ask my sponsor, he would say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you having have me, man. I some space to grow. I appreciate you having me out here. Thank I appreciate you, brother. you giving me the I'm glad we caught you in the one year. And uh, like I say over and over again in here, I get the great benefit of sitting across from somebody and getting to know them better. I get that's a front row seat to the story. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and that's an honor too, man. So congratulations on your one year. Thank you for coming in here. And uh, we'll just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. All right. So. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's because you're not doing it right. (laughs) And just want to thank everybody out there for allowing Josh and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight. Peace out.